Blog Talk Radio. how will Teal 
uh, Fimo Lopez handle it and his father because especially in that Cambosis fight, he'd go from, you know, giving him advice kind of calmly to just screaming. And it, it wasn't coherent, though. Of course, sometimes you're going to yell and scream, and we've seen fighter, you know, uh, fighters get slapped by their trainers. Obviously, there has to be a trust issue there. But the screaming isn't – but it was just kind of out of nowhere. It's like you're telling them two different things. One, you're calmly saying something to them. The other time you're screaming at him. And it just seems like once the Teofimo Lopez game plan, which there's not a whole lot to it, it's kind of basic. Not that he has not that he sticks to a bunch of fundamentals, but once that's not working, what will Lopez do? He doesn't want to be caught on the inside trading punches, you know, at distance, at range. Uh, moving a little bit more, using his head movement, using his uh, counter-punching ability. He ha- he's plenty of explosive. Uh, you know, he has plenty of explosiveness on his punch, obviously, and like I said, especially countering. There's just time where there's just times in fights where he just, like I said, I don't know if it's lose focus or there's no excuse for like losing a whole lot of focus or not taking uh, Josh Taylor. You know. Um, Serious. So that should be out. We'll see how Taylor, you know, Taylor has flaws as well, like the vast majority of fighters, some more than others, obviously. But I'm really looking forward to it. And like I said, I think it's a very competitive fight. I don't, I don't, this whole Teofimo's about to get washed. He has said a bunch of dumb stuff. Even that, even that stuff he said, do I still got it on camera? Do I still got it? And then he's like, well, I, I'm very, you know, media savvy, so he was acting like he was faking it. Kind of like what Cambosos would do, right? The strategy thing, you know? Like, you have that meme going, but, you know, the mental thing. And it's like, dude, if that was your angle, you wouldn't go and tell people about it. Like, if you were really trying to pull that angle off, you'd say that shit after you beat, you know, Taylor. You wouldn't be like, do I still got it when the camera's on? And then Oh, I was just saying that. I know that the camera's on. I was just trying to get people to talk. And it's like, it makes you not want to believe it because, honestly, it didn't look like you had it or had what you had. <laughs> not like you're done as a fighter, and I'm and I'm over here saying stuff uh, in his behalf. Like, dude, this isn't a, a, a plus 300, plus 400 scenario, um, at least in my opinion and some others, but – to me, I just don't see him getting washed. But anyway, we, we will get into that preview and predict good fight. Munguia and, you know, Dev are fighting. We'll, we'll talk about him or talk about that card a little bit. Speaking of Golden Boy, just in general, though, Oscar had some audio the other day about uh, Charlo. It's about the WBC and about Munguia. Um, and speaking of Oscar, you know, Ryan Garcia and Oscar trading uh, – Twitter fingers, I guess you could say. That's what we used to call it, Twitter fingers, like a Twitter beef back and forth. You know, um, it's one. It, it was basically Ryan Garcia versus Oscar versus Eddie all of a sudden, Eddie Hearn. It's kind of kind of crazy. We, we'll read a little bit about what Dan Raphael had to say as far as some of the things Ryan Garcia and his team wants to do and how Oscar in his side and, and probably DAZN as well probably wouldn't want to do. Um, so it's a little bit deeper. It's not just on the surface, but 
you know, there's a time and a place to say something. It just seems like, mm, I don't know if I'd handle it that exact way because all of a sudden you had Oscar saying, Pacquiao, we're going to get, we're going to try to get the Pacquiao fight. And it sounded like they had already previously discussed that we're not interested in the Pacquiao fight anymore, you know. Uh, but we'll talk about it a little bit more. Um, there's rumors of Thurman Ugas, Boots Ennis, get a, a fight that's a quality fight for him. Uh, his opponent, we'll talk about it in a second, deserved it because it's Via. He, he you know, he, he beat Rashidi, and they were trying to match up Boots Ennis in Rashidi, so why not, if something happened organically, which it did, why not him get the shot? So that's pretty cool. Uh, Samson also did call Eddie Reynoso's bluff on uh, for the Canelo fight. He made it sound like there had been no offers sent from anybody, like they're just hanging out. <laughs> um, and I guess that wasn't the case. And then Tank got sent to jail. You know, for a reason that you can you can say there's response. Well, I don't know about responsibility. It's Tank's responsibility. Bottom line, right? Now he may have been advised, you know, a certain way or whatever. We we really don't know fully. I mean, hearing what his lawyer said in some of the quotes, it does kind of make you scratch your head. But basically, he moved out of the house that he was supposed to stay in the whole time. You know, for the whole 90 days. So, obviously, that's going to get you in trouble if you're caught, you know. Uh, now, maybe if he hadn't bought a property, that wouldn't have gotten attention. I, I don't know. I don't know. But we'll talk about that. There is a, a variety of fight news to talk about that's either, you know, rumored to be made strongly or it got announced. So, we'll, we'll talk about that in, in a short little bit. Of course, we'll start in the ring. And then I, you know, I'm really looking forward to this Taylor Lopez because it's it's it is a crossroads fight in many ways for Teofimo Lopez. Even though you look at his age, it shouldn't be. It's it's and usually a crossroads fight means both of them are at the crossroads. And and Taylor, although coming off that, you know, mediocre, a poor, you know, scenario with you know um, Catterall, he still hasn't lost. He's still the lineal champ. So, yeah, he let all his belts go. Who cares about undisputed when you still have the lineal in place? Uh, but Teofimo Lopez, man, this is a big, big fight for obviously both of them. But Lopez had that magic, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020, beating Lomachenko. Um, it really looked like be some form of takeover, like he said. Um, but, you know, obviously that did not work in his favor. Now, his only loss is still a really competitive fight. Like I said, I wouldn't write him off all the way. But then again, does he have a new voice in his corner? We'll get into all that. i got to stop. If this is your first time listening to the Rope Dope Radio podcast, welcome. It streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Rope Dope Radio. You don't have to go to Blog Talk and Rope Dope. You can download the show there if you would. But if not, you can find Rope Dope Radio on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Player FM, TuneIn, Stitcher, Sprinker, and a host of other places while you're at it. Why don't you head on over to thegrillingtruth.com and Sports News 24. One more thing. Get your TV together without the hassle of cable. Stream the best entertainment and sports starting with 75 live channels. That's direct TV stream. Um, you can buy the direct TV streaming device. 
You can sign up today. There's no annual contracts, no hidden fees, plus learn how to get premium channels included for the first three months of qualifying packages. And save $30 your first three months uh, just in general for direct TV stream. Check it out. Anyway, um, like I said, you know, Clarissa was dominant, you know, in her win. You couldn't really give uh, Cordejo rounds, if we're being honest, obviously. Um, was the seventh round a 10-8 round, maybe? Eh, maybe. You could say that. That's when she was really just letting her hands go all the way trying to get the stoppage. You could see in late as well in that fight, but you could really see her going for it. But, you know, she came out with a stiff jab, landing, you know, some right hands, uh, Cordejo, some nice combos in there, but um, big, more big right hands, obviously. She was, Shields was flashing some really good head movement, um, big right hand, then a left hook, left hook counters. She was either jab right hand or just lead right hand, landing the cleaner one, and, and really more of the same from like rounds three to five. You could see by maybe six and seven or before seven, she was really kind of reaching at times with her right hand. And like I said, then she was kind of loading up on it, just going for it. Um, uh, she fell, I'd say maybe the eighth or at least the ninth, she was at a, a tad more measured pace, both of them. Uh, and then kind of late flurry, she went for it. Uh, but it was a good win for her. Um, and the fact that, you know, the folks came out, over 11,000 in attendance. I think it did a $600,000 gate there in Detroit. So that was dope. You know, at the Litter, what is it, the Little Caesars Arena? I just butchered that, but hey, you know, it is what it is. Um, so she did her thing, you know. Um, I didn't get to see all of the undercard. I did see the Joseph Hicks uh, performance. I thought he looked pretty good. And then the uh, the Holmes Jr. and Toussaint, that fight, um, I did think, you know, Toussaint should have won the fight, but um, he was getting warned for hitting behind the the, the head, kind of on the neck area sometimes. He did, I think it was, what was the third round, if I remember correctly, that, that the point got deducted. Uh, it was kind of like a, well, not kind of. It was, it was basically like a hammer fist by Toussaint, but he was arguing that, you know, Holmes Jr. on that particular one kind of ducked into it. I guess maybe on that in particular one, you could say that. I could I could see that. Um, but like I said, he did technically, Toussaint, get warned before it. So it obviously, I'm bringing it up because, you know, it played a point. This could have been a draw. Uh, Holmes Jr. actually did um, win the fight. Um, you know, he, he did kind of throw straighter punches, Holmes. Um, but he just wasn't as active. It just wasn't, like, efficient enough. Whereas you saw, like, the better punching overall was Toussaint for me. He was more effective. Like I said, he was putting his punches together, not just one at a time. He was the aggressor, more aggressive, I guess you could say. Um, and then, you know, they did have – this is how it stopped, obviously, the, the horrible cut on the forehead on Toussaint. It got ruled an accidental headbutt, um, and it was 77-74 for both 
guys, so they both so it was going to be a split decision, and then seventy six seventy five in favor of Holmes, and um, obviously that point deduction would have tied it. Um, he's now I think fourteen and zero. He's from Flint. Um, that couldn't have hurt him. You know, I did see highlights of the Devell Smith and the Vernon Weber a little bit uh, from people uh, showing it on um, on Twitter. But I did actually think Wendy Toussaint probably did enough to win that fight personally. Um, like I said, I thought he just landed the, the better punches. Um, but overall, I, uh, you know, I, I thought he looked pretty good before the, the headbutt. But, you know, like I said, I mean, you can say that, like they called it on the broadcast, the hammer fist, you know. Um, you could say that maybe Holmes did duck in that particular time, and maybe he did that a time or two in the fight. But I would say that Toussaint probably was. At least he was getting warned, you know, even though maybe it shouldn't have been that quick. What was that, the third round? I don't know. I mean, it is what it is. But even with that, I think he won. I mean, that other judge had it, 77-74, that, that's, that's fine, right? There's no, there's no problem there. Um, and, and I just – I had him winning the fight. Um, but, you know, hopefully that, that there's a rematch there. But not a whole lot more to talk about, at least from my end. Um, like I said, we will get into this Josh Taylor, Tiafima Lopez. We will get into uh, some, some news, Boots Ennis. Ennis and Via, I like that matchup. Um, like I said, it, it's pretty dope that it happened because he beat Rashidi, so he should, you know, get the get the get the call. He should get the fight. Um, and uh, Boots already fought once this year. What on the undercard of Gervonta? Uh, wasn't on the undercard of Gervonta? And uh, yeah, H- uh, Hector. I think it was. Yeah, I think he fought there on the undercard, and so that was in January, so now he's fighting again in July, so he's got a good chance to have three fights this year, which, you know, once you're uh, a contender and at the championship level, um, <laughs> you don't always get three fights, you know. Uh, maybe you'll get three fights in, in a 12-month, in 15-month a span, but it's hard to get them in if you don't fight January or February. You know, it's hard to get them in in a calendar year. Uh, but anyway... Like I said, we'll talk about other news, Ryan Garcia versus Oscar versus Eddie and all that good stuff. Uh, But right about now, I'm going to go ahead and bring in John into the fold here and get his takes uh, from the weekend and especially kind of dig deep into this Josh Taylor, Tiafimo Lopez. Um, I do want to talk to him about the Tank Davis scenario and why he's sitting in a cell instead of, um, you know, at Kelvin Ford's house for his house rest uh, the 90 days. So, yeah, let's go ahead and bring in John, John here. What's going on, John? How you doing? Hey, Chris. Uh, great great to be here as always, and we have a very interesting weekend coming up and uh, quite a few uh, other interesting topics to talk about, uh, Tank Davis being one of them, as you mentioned. you got the Ryan Garcia situation. You mentioned a good fight that's been signed with um, Boots Ennis and Via, uh, and, and I think Showtime could use a fight like that too. So that's good. Uh, so good we, we got a lot to talk about. And you, and you mentioned um, 
you know, really last weekend for me, the only thing really of note was Clarissa Shields fighting, and she got an easy decision as expected. Uh, of course, you know, fighting Cornejo, that wasn't Clarissa Shields' fault, so to speak. I mean, um, you know, her fir- her first opponent had a positive PED test, and I think Clarissa Shields, I actually liked it how she called her out on it and said, you know, maybe she's just not going to fight her again after having a PED no, after the fight, the, the, unfortunately, in a way for Clarissa Shields, even though you're getting attention, the, the New York Times actually had an article saying, why isn't she knocking anybody out, considering how good she is? And, you know, we've talked, I think most of the time, or at least a lot of the time, I, I attribute it, you know, in the in the women's game, uh, just because two-minute rounds, which, you know, I've said that on numerous occasions, and WBC garbage science aside, um, there's no reason for the women to be fighting, you know, two-minute rounds when the men fight three. So that hurts it. But, you know, Clarissa Shields, it's starting to seem to be more than that because even with these overmatched opponents, she's not getting them them out of there. Um, You know, she she seemed to crank it up with everything she had against Savannah Marshall and caught her attention a few times in that fight. Um, but didn't score a knockdown or anything like that. And what she's got two KOs in her career. And, you know, I, I agree. I think she's as good as most, um, but you know, it is like, you know, the great boxing genius, Emmanuel Stewart correctly said, you know, fans want knockouts. And I was thinking about that in the present day era, you could even attribute that to, you know, decisions don't go viral, you know, combat sports knockouts go viral. We know that. They go viral on social media, uh, YouTube, et cetera. So it matters. Um, but I think, you know, with women's boxing had initially picked up when you had fighters like, you know, Christy Martin, Layla Ali, um, you know, and Wolf in the lower weights. You had, you know, Regina Hamlet in Germany, Mia St. John. Then, then it kind of faded as, you know, we talked about there was no – there weren't any women amateur programs wasn't in the Olympics, but then I think that helped spur a comeback. And what I'm leading to there is I think, you know, in the men's game, you're, you're look TV now, TV so big in all sports um, that even, it's not that a, a big gate doesn't help or make some money, but it's just not what's driving thing. And frankly, in, other major sports, it's not either. It's it's the TV money. Um, but with that understood, I think with the women's game, you know, in the midst of making a comeback, as you were talking, I do think in Clarissa Shields' case, it matters, you know, uh, homecoming-type fight, she drew over 11,000. I mean, that that's good. I think that is worthy of note. That's a, that's a good showing for her um, and is a positive in, in any event. So that, that's kind of worthy of note. Um, but you know, not knocking out the overmatched opponents—that's uh, hurting her a little bit. As good as she is, so I, I think that's really all that I was focused on uh, last weekend. And then you know, I heard you talking about Taylor Lopez. Um, you know, I agree with a lot of what you were saying. You know, first on the the out of the ring part, what I love about this fight is we're almost kind of overdue for it with the barrage of pay per views we've had. Uh, we've we've got here a top matchup back on 
you know, basic cable regular TV in the U.S. on ESPN. Now, you know, ideally, I've said this a lot of times, still believe it, I, I, I don't like the fight starting, you know, after 10 p.m. in the East, especially when it's taking place in New York. Um, Saturday night's not a big TV night. Um, that out-of-the-ring stuff's worth mentioning. Like, and just to explain for people that don't know TV history, you know, when we were talking, Chris, last week about a lot of good fights coming up in the summer and, you know, we're into the unofficial summer now. This is part of that strategy. Why that matters as opposed to old TV strategy, like some people who are interested in it but don't know the TV background might be wondering, well, why did boxing run all these fights in the fall, you know, when NFL was going on back back in the day and things like that, these big pay-per-view? Well, that was the old TV philosophy with your basic TV, your network, your basic cable is that more people watch TV in the fall. So even though you had more competition, it's always worth doing it rather than the summer. But I think boxing probably correctly has realized that even with more people watching TV in the fall, boxing's at a point now where they've got to find some openings and, you know, running these big fights in the summer without NFL competition only competition from baseball that's saved is the the way to go. And, and this fight Saturday night is definitely part of that strategy. I mean, that's ESPN saying, you know, outside of baseball, we don't have that much to show in the summer. That's big, you know, okay, boxing, here's your opportunity. I just wish, you know, especially, you know, Saturday night late, it, it, that's, that's not ideal, but a fight this good on regular TV um, is important. And I, I did get some quote-unquote official numbers, and this is interesting. I hadn't seen it for a while, you know, seeing some real data. Apparently, the cord cutting has gotten to a point now where uh, cable subscriptions are about at 60% where they were. So, you know, we've talked about numbers for guys like Haney and Stevenson that were relatively good on ESPN. Um and that and that's yeah, it's like a little over might, seventy million right now. Right, and so it might also explain why, you know, when Tank was doing numbers, he was doing on Showtime, were which were a little better than some of the other guys, but weren't compared to past numbers eye opening that they saw pay per view potential, and then ultimately when you're able to match him up with Ryan Garcia, he ended up by credible reports, you know being the first fighter in a long time to, to get into that Canelo type range when Canelo was kind of at his, you know, peak before he kind of stuck himself on the zone a lot, but you know, that, that does hurt. I mean, no matter what anybody wants to say. So yeah, so we're talking, so these numbers, you have to take them in perspective. So what I'm saying is this is a big fight basic cable. And then, you know, you get some additional ESPN plus, but even with their increased subscribers, you're not adding that much to it yet when you look at those numbers. So you can't look at it in old numbers, but um, you, in perspective, you want to see a really good showing this weekend from a fight like this because this is what boxing needs at regular TV. In theory, right. to have somebody surfing around. Uh, that Got a good lead in, fight. too. You know, USC right. prelims, which usually do seven, eight hundred thousand. Maybe it can do a million if it's a big fight. You know, so hopefully they are. You're right, though. Uh, and another thing about cable TV, as you know, the Nielsen has measured uh, streams and all that a little bit more. But you know, the the 
some people will say, well, hey, even, you know, so-and-so has, like HBO worldwide has 93 sub, you know, subscriptions and all that. But I think people do have to realize that there still is a fair amount of cable in bars all across the country, and that doesn't get accounted for per se. So it's it's yeah, still a big deal. Yeah, that's more true. It, it is. And, and, you know, from credible people that analyze it, this wasn't just older people wishing for the past. You know, there was some thought as recently as in the last four or five years that even though the new streaming was going to catch on and get bigger, that because – and a lot of people do have this problem already because so many streaming services wanted you to subscribe and then – you know, a lot of people like I've got you got Apple Music and things like that. You're subscribing all these things that there was a chance since cable also is people's primary source for internet connections into their homes that people might start backtracking the cable a little, saying like, well, if I have to pay all these streaming subscriptions and it's adding up to more right. than my whole cable package, what's the point? Yeah, it's like streaming? why not go back? You know, why Direct not go back? So, Sixty four. Sixty four ninety nine right now uh, at the starting price, you know. Right, right, and I've even looked at that myself, and they're starting to add more in there now to try to compete. I, I do. It's kind of like I, I satellite. Not to interrupt you, John, but it's yep. kind of like satellite. Remember, a lot of people went to satellite because a cable was too much, and then the satellite direct TV was like a almost two hundred dollars. Like, all right, I'm done with both of them. Talk about that. That might not have happened yet, but that part you still got to see play out where all these streaming, streaming subscriptions start adding up. But I did see the, the number this week that found about 60%, but that's still, it's still more than everything else. So I want to see that number. But this is the type of, you know, there's two ends of the spectrum now coming up in the next two months that are kind of, to me, ideal for modern boxing. You have, like, the ultimate throwback pay-per-view fight in Spence Crawford, something that stacks up with 40 years ago, you know, for the real welterweight title, both undefeated should do real well. Um, and then you have, to me, this is, this is the other end of the spectrum. You still want to have that regular basic cable TV fight. Like when PBC started bringing that stuff back around 2015 and, you know, has gotten away from it some, but, you know, top rank has kind of picked up that baton until they went, pay-per-view with a fight like Haney Lomachenko, but they're back with it. And, you know, they're going to be running some stuff like that in the summer. So that's good. Um, like both ends of the spectrum that I think boxing needs, you know, your high quality pay-per-view and you had something like that, that the fans wanted in Davis Garcia. Now you got another one, Spence Crawford, but you know, I've been talking about that for weeks, you know, with you, we still need that, you know, for boxing to get enough exposure to not keep shriveling, you still got to have that good regular TV fight that we were starting to get some of. And we got that for Saturday night. So that's the out of the ring setting the stage to me. And now in the ring, picking up what you said, Chris, and I've seen this momentum kind of building over the last week. I'm with you. Um, This is a real, to me, a really tight matchup to call Uh, other people that, you know, I'm hearing things out of Teofimo Lopez and seeing his performances since Lomachenko that caused me some concern. But what I'm with you on, which you just said earlier at the beginning of the show, is people are taking it too far now. I see people with this 
like it's almost to me, even though Taylor's good, it's kind of a fantasy version of Josh Taylor. Like he's going to aggressively rough him up and bully him and be throwing all these punches. And Josh Taylor hasn't been fighting like that against the high level opposition that he faced. Now he's undefeated. He's gotten some big wins, but he, he faded late against Jose Ramirez, even having him drop twice. He, he really almost blew that fight on the cards legitimately with two knockdowns. He, he just wanted to punch him. Um, did not finish strong against Progray. Uh, Progray was busting him up late. Um, that fight could have gone either way to me. I thought Progray even edged it, but I didn't come to that decision. Um, Taylor started out pretty well early, but he, he faded in that one. Um, now, Catterall, he, he picked it up in the second half, and Catterall faded, but it was Catterall doing nothing than Josh Taylor doing a lot in the second half of the fight. So uh, I think people kind of like viewing Josh Taylor from like when he was fighting some lower level opposition. Now, he's still undefeated, but, you know, now, granted, we don't know what Tiafimo we're going to get from what we've seen lately, but you know how I look at it. I mean, the five pounds from the lightweight to the junior welterweight 140, that, that's not going to matter. So this, to me, again, concept like Taylor's going to bully him and things. And, Chris, one thing I don't even – I agree with just about everything you said, but one thing I disagree slightly with is I think Tiafimo, even close to his best, he's got – too much of a dangerous offense that I, I don't think Josh Taylor just, you know, turns this into I'm going to fight this inside fight and lean on him. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that happens. I think that Tiafimo, at almost any decent version of himself, has too much offensive firepower. Now we know he doesn't let. It, I'm with you all the way. He doesn't let his hands go enough, but Taylor hasn't against the higher opposition either. Now, you know, he's got some pop. Um, I think Tiafimo at his best probably has a little more. Um, so the way I see it is this. I think these are both talented guys. I, I think both of these guys are talented. Um, I think they both have a high talent level. I think both of them have problems at times in fights where they're not throwing enough punches. And it's hard going back in past errors where you didn't have the punch counting, to have the data on it, things, some real fight and crazy aficionados or researchers could actually look at the old fight films and count it. This is just for me anecdotally because sometimes your eyes can fool you, but it, it seems to me in the modern era what we are getting a little more of, and these two guys reflect it, is you're, you're getting higher-level fighters who do have talent and good offensive firepower who don't let their hands go enough. You know, you got some other famous examples in recent vintage like Adrian Broner, you know, Danny Garcia, this is the kind of thing I have in mind. You know, guys who have skill, have pop, but they go through fights a lot of – look, Lomachenko, Haney, that, that's a low output basically overall, better fight than we expected. But, you know, they're, they're not high they're not high output guys. Um, I think, you know, you could look at different reasons for that. But, but it seems to me that compared to past eras, we have more talented guys now that – are a little – and, you know, hey, boxing is the most dangerous sport. I always say it. You know, I kind of get it. Hey, when you're throwing, you know, you're open to get hit. Um, it, it just seems to me that in the present era we have 
more talented guys who are just a little bit cautious on the volume. So one thing I'll say that nobody else is saying too, and I'm not saying it's definitely going to play out this way, but a lot of people have said that with this close of a matchup with both of these guys having talent, they don't see there's any way this couldn't be a, this could be a bad fight. I do see one scenario. This could be a bad fight. And if, if both of these guys are cautious, not throwing that much and, you know, look in the counter, they can both have all the talent in the world, but that's not going to play out as a great fight. So I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen because they both have offensive firepower. Um, they both dropped people. You know, Taylor's still been dropping people. you got to give him that, I mean, in a lot of fights. And, you know, Tia Fimo's had some highlight real knockouts against some uh, solid opposition. So I think they, they both have the pop to hurt you. But I do think there's a scenario in this fight that, I don't see people talk. I, I'm with you. I don't see anybody picking Lopez, which I think it's too close for that to me. And then I also don't see anybody saying there's a scenario where this could be a bad fight. I do think there is one scenario where this could be a bad fight. If they're both not throwing and they're both too cautious, which I do think that is capable in this matchup. That could happen. I'm not saying it will, but I do think it's a reasonable possibility. It could be a bit of a disappointment there. But I'm not necessarily saying that's an error. I, I, I am where I am with the majority, though, and this is hard to forecast. And for me, I'm going to have to wait to the weigh-in to really get a full feel on this one for a final pick. But I, I think they both have a lot of talent. Um, but I do think both at their best, I do think Tiafimo is slightly more talented. I mean, they both got a good amateur pedigree. Taylor's is slightly better because he – you know, did make something happen in the Olympics. Um, but I think they, they're close talent-wise. Both are talented. This is not a case where I, I think either of them is limited on talent. But actually on the talent, I think just probably with the two-handed offensive ability, the ability to box, I, I think the, the best Tiafimo is slightly, slightly more talented than Taylor. Very close. Very close. Not a big gap there. But that's where I'm not – comfortable counting out Tiafimo because I'm not going to pretend I'm a psychiatrist or a psychologist and I can tell you exactly what his mental state is. I am with everybody else. You know, you, you look at some of those recent performances and the things he's saying and it concerns me. And as you pointed out, Chris, I, I almost forget it, but like, I think they pretty much said, honestly, I give him credit for being honest. It's just because of money. But like, you know, when, when Tiafimo did have Gamash in there, it, it, it seemed like he was making even more progress. And, you know, that hasn't been the case for quite a few fights now, and he, he's not looking as good. Um, and, you know, but they're, they're not – he's going with that. He's not making those changes. That concerns me. Um, I'm with everybody else on the concerns, but I don't think we can say that for a certainty. And I think that the, the best Tiafimo is slightly better than the best Taylor, I think. So that's I'm, I'm leaving the door open for that to the weigh-in where I want to see, like, because with the mental state questions we've had about Tiafimo, um, and look, Taylor's had some things too, but you know, you, you don't want to just go where they you let some people off the hook on these things. But and you know, they they had talked that he was going to be up at welterweight a long time ago, and he's not. So. 
you know, I kind of want to see the way in here. But with Tiafimo, with, with seemingly more questions, and he has said himself now he's going through a divorce. So, you know, that that's documented, you know, through his own words. Um, if, if he like misses weight and he's got to make weight or something like that, I, I'm not I'm not going to be feeling real good, you know, about Tiafimo being in a good state. But like. You know, if he comes in at 139 and a half on the first try or something like that with the talent he's got, I mean, I think he's capable of winning this fight. Um, so, you know, it, it's to me, this is a real close one that, that's really going to come down to the end for being comfortable. And then it's still real close. I, I think it's real close. But I saw the ring today, you know, their panel, 20, 20, 20 Taylor, 0 Lopez. I mean, doesn't that seem extreme to you? Really? Twenty <laughs> to zero? I never I did I've not never seen know that. Holy cow. Twenty to zero. And never with a fight that close. Now Anson Wainwright, who writes for the ring, who I, I interact with on Twitter some, um, he comes up I don't like his result because I'm with you. Like he comes up with the result that I don't quite see, like Taylor getting a ninth round TKO, but I agree with his an- analysis the most. Because this is the way I've thought of this fight. Both talented, and he actually does say this too. He also believes that both at their best, that Lopez is a bit more talented than Taylor. That it's close, but he, he's a little more talented. But he just has no yeah. reliance on on what Tiafimo is going to bring. But I think the mistake he's making that I see people make that that you've kind of it seems Chris agree with. You know, I think this idea of this Taylor against higher opposition is this like rough, aggressive guy who's going to lean on right. you and be throwing all these punches to generate a stoppage. I mean, in, unless Tiafimo is an empty shell in there mentally and physically, I don't see that. You know, I, I don't, I don't right. see that scenario. So um, even if he's going to lose, I don't, I don't, I'm with you. I, see, that's where you and I are definitely, uh, you know, I think we agree on most of it. I don't see that either. But, but yeah, you know, I've never seen a close odds fight with a 20 to 0 on a panel you know, with the ring or a major newspaper or boxing publication. So, and I, I mean, <laughs> I think that's just the way it came I mean, out. the highest odds I see is plus 160, plus 155, plus 152, plus 138. Like, 20 to zip just blows me away. Yes, and normally the odds makers know better than any person. So, you know, even though those are people that follow boxing – when the, the I mean the odds makers they're not always right but they're more right so yeah for a twenty to oh and they're not going to just follow yeah. the crowd either exactly they have to be right because they have money money at stake and that, and the odds makers get paid money to do their job so you have to look at that I I, I like reading books about that kind of forecast and I've said it before and I find it fascinating and it, and it helps you so right and that and that's what the the literature by really academics who've written about it say yeah i mean you know that's that's the markets the prediction markets they mean something for a reason so yeah a 20 to 0 in the ring just completely this that's completely disregarding the prediction markets for nobody to have a pick of lopez out of that i mean you know that would be like where you had somebody who was a massive favorite that it would be 20 to 0. and then no i mean look this is you're gonna laugh but you have to laugh i mean there were, I mean, look, everybody's had bad picks, so I'm not picking on them, but it's just since they are known people, it's worth mentioning. I mean, like, Michael Woods picked Ryder to beat Canelo, and so did Jessica McCaskill. 
So, I mean, if you can get two people to pick Ryder over Canelo and you can't get anybody at the rig to pick Lopez over Taylor, I mean, that's, it's, that's a strange – I'm not saying fixed or anything either. I don't think it is at all. I mean, just – it's weird. It's, it's just – that's a weird one because I'm finding this one a real tight call. Um, for me, this one has to come down to the weigh-in um, because, you know, the, the, the Lopez concerns are legit, but – and a way in might, you know, look what we had with the Laura, you know, just recently, you know, you know, it can be, it can be, and that was a totally lethargic performance. You know, it can be an indicator. So, um, and look, Taylor, you know, has complained about having to make 140 for a long time. And now he's been off for what, 16 months coming off a, a, a terrible performance. Um, you know, I don't think Catterall definitely won that fight. I mean, for me, he edged it, but it was, it was close enough just because Catterall didn't do anything in the second half that I, I think the guy, I thought the guy kind of forfeited his complaints, but Taylor hasn't fought for 16 months since then. Um, so, you know, he, there, there's some, there's some questions. There's some questions there as well. And, you know, he got dropped to Catterall who, who's certainly not a massive puncher. So, um, you know, there, there's a definite scenario where this could be a real good fight. Uh, you know, Lopez got dropped by Cambosos, who's not a, who's not that big of a puncher, I I don't believe. So you know both guys have been down recently, um, and they both have offense. I mean, there's scenario where it could be a real good fight, but there I do think that there it's it's not a it's not a guarantee like people are saying. I do think there's a scenario where this one um, could be not that great. So for me to sum this one up. I'm going down to the weigh-in. I, I I slightly like Lopez's talent edge, so I, I'm I'm not I'm not ruling out picking him just for the win on this one. You know, on you know as we get down to weigh-in on Friday, but with all the other concerns, you know, I, I've got I've got to see him. I've got to see him making the weight easy. I think is, is something I got to see, and, and you know. We'll see if there's any concern there for Taylor as well, but I'm more concerned about Lopez with all these other things going on. So that, that's that's kind of my take on that one. And we get, we have another interesting fight this weekend with um, Munguia and Dara Vyachenko. Yeah, I mean, it's – I'm still like – <laughs> my mentality sometimes, though, I'll be so like, well, I'm going against it. 20 and 0, I'm going against it. You know, like my mind is just like, yeah. oh, okay, I'm going to prove wrong, you know, for no reason at all. Just, you know, right. that's just how my mind operates sometimes. And I have to like contain it, be like, well, you know, don't go doing stupid, make a dumb bet. Right. Not that I, you know, make too much of, I'm not talking about money. Um, but it is, it, it does make me like, huh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's, in boxing terms, it's a 50-50, you know, anything under, to be honest with you, anything under like a plus 200 or a plus 175, that's basically 50-50 as far as boxing terms. Yeah, yeah, I mean, actually the odds makers decades. have it. I mean, the odds makers actually have it. People use the term, but the odds makers have it close to a 50-50. And you've got the ring 20 and 0, but 20 to 0 for Taylor. But, Chris, you summon a perfect guy. I agree. You have to catch yourself. Because, you know, hey, we like to try to be right. Um, you don't want to be just con- – that's what I'm kind of holding to the way, and I don't want to – like you said, you're right. I, I, you don't want to be, like, just totally contrarian because you're like, hey, 
this is a better, this is a closer fight than you guys are looking at it. But then you know you have Lopez weighing one forty two. The more you know, the more to get the first weigh in attempt or something like that. I mean, that that's the kind of thing where you're you know you don't want to get caught in that. Uh, and then 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 everybody who said we question his mental state and pick Taylor is going to look like you know they had it all along. So um, let, it, with with the way Lopez is going, we we got to kind of. We got to kind of see the the last couple of days, but why you why you can't try to play psychologist too much either? That's why I want to see the scales because that's not psychology. That's just kind of a fact thing. Is like like remember Canelo Golovkin too when at the weigh in Canelo jumped in Golovkin's face and everybody said yep. he's intimidated. He's he's intimidated. His mental state's not good. He's, he's out of character. Composure. He's way out of yeah exactly. <laughs> He's way out of character. And then he pushes and then the back, opening bell, you know? The opening bell rings, and Canelo starts pushing him back and pushes him back for 12 rounds. So He's doing exactly yeah. what we asked him to, want him to do all this time. And then, you know, yeah, you're right. right. You can catch yourself too too much. And then other times it plays perfectly, and you're like, actually, yeah, that was a tell, you know? Yes, it's that tough. So, right. That's why I just want to see – I want to see a little – I want to see a little bit more um, – just want to see a little bit more, but you, know, you do look back at the Lopez career and let, let's, you know, kind of, you could say no brainer if you want, but through the Lomachenko fight, you know, if, if that guy is showing up Saturday night, I, I think I'll say that. I mean, cause for some people, they wouldn't go that far, but for me, you know, if, if the, if the Lopez through Lomachenko shows up Saturday night, he wins. So let me say that. Uh, you know, I, I, I will go that far. I, I think he wins. I think that his two-handed offense, and he's got boxing skill too. I, I think he would, you know, I, I think he would, he would overcome Taylor there. I think he he could he'd get the win. But I, I can't, you know, I, I can't say that that's coming yet. You know, so um, I just need to I need to get a little more information and and, you know, look at making the call there. And I'm, I'm like you. I don't want to go too contrarian or get too stuck. And I'm not seeing good things out of Lopez and then, you know, pick against Taylor. So, because uh, Taylor, you know, I think the talent level is close here. I, I don't want to discount Josh Taylor's talent level at all. He's proven to me he's gotten the talent. But I think even though he's got the talent, people may be making like he does some things that he doesn't do going into Saturday night. Yeah, and I'm uh, I am picking Taylor by majority decision. I'll go into the X's and O's a little bit later. Um, if some adversity hits, and maybe adversity's not getting hurt and you know knocked down and whatnot, um, I, I just don't. The plan A, plan B, plan C, the corner screaming all sorts of stuff at him, trying to calm him down, but then screaming uh, that Cambosis corner. You know, for that TFA, that shit was just wild. I just was like, dude, you're really doing your son a disservice here. And they, you know, you can hear in their little trash talking back and forth this week, you know, that ESPN did, which I think they did a good job. You could tell they did it beforehand because, you know, he was still, they weren't in the same city. I, I thought they did a pretty good job at that. But you could still be like, well, you know, I don't know. It's just there's certain things he says, like my my father knows way more than most people of boxing, and and 
and, and you know, I, I learn from him every day. Every day he tell, teach me new things. And, and I'm not trying to say he knows, you know, less than me or something like that. I've never been in a corner. So who the hell am I? But it's obvious once you've watched decade after decade of boxing in the corner, like I said, it, I'm not talking about the screaming part. I'm talking about the coherent message and then what – it just seems like with the Tiafimo stuff, if it doesn't work and he's not landing big punches, it, it just seems like – I don't know if it's losing focus or whatever, but that did, that's still just kind of lingering for me. And I just think fight is on the inside. There's times where Lopez is really, you know, uses his – some fundamentals and, and uh, you know, he moves his head and upper body and he can counter punch and he's explosive and he's quick footed and, you know, that type of thing. But I just feel like he depends on his reflexes a little too much where the craftsmanship, the, when they're on the clinch, being able to do something with the free hand or just being a little dirty in, in walking that little edge uh, because let's remember, I mean, that Ramirez fight was much closer than people. They they remember the two knockdowns, but that was a close fight round by round. And if it wasn't for the two knockdowns, you know, it would have been a different story. And Ramirez isn't like, you know, he's crafty on the inside, but he is more of a guy that's going to wear you down. Kind of like what people are talking about Ramirez is, or not Ramirez, but um, Taylor, like you said, a lot of people are acting like, He's just going to rough him up. And, you know, he can get hit coming inside, you know, plenty. You know, he has, he has flaws too. So I'll get into that in just a second. But I do kind of want to get your take outside of the ring. Um, you know, we'll start with Javante uh, Davis. There are some quotes uh, from his lawyer and whatnot. Uh, and then he obviously – he actually, you know, they, they him and his whoever – put a recording out saying the judge is crazy and this, that, and the other. And it all strings from he was supposed to be on house arrest for 90 days at Kelvin Ford's house, which is, we found out is a one bedroom or something like that. And uh, there just wasn't enough room, but did he go through the necessary, you know, um, lanes to, you know, make sure that's okay if he were to move out of there. And uh, whatever advice he got from his lawyer, his team, obviously at the end of the day, he is 100% responsible. Uh, But what are your thoughts there? And then also, you know, you hate to see it in many ways, but Oscar De La Hoya and Ryan Garcia going at it on Twitter when you're like, dude, that's that's your fighter, that's your promoter. Uh, To me, it's like, it's one thing to, to say, hey, we haven't – I don't know. He just says stuff about like, well, let's talk about Gervonta. We'll get into that. Gervonta Davis now in, uh, you know, a jail cell rather than being on house arrest. Yeah, I, well, I just had the Gervonta Davis situation. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean you know, for, for what he did, you, you would expect this to happen. And I can I can say this, especially in a I mean I've done criminal work earlier in my career, uh, you know I've been a civil litigator my whole career, so I'm always involved in that. I mean in a civil case, you would be telling your client not to make comments 
like Gervonta did on that social media video. And, you know, that, that doesn't even involve your freedom. In other words, in a criminal case, you know, you could plead the fifth without it being held against you. Now I'm talking about, you know, we're, we're beyond that point, but just giving people the idea because they don't understand the difference between criminal and civil a lot. You know, the idea is nobody has to testify against themselves to jeopardize their own freedom. Um, trying to get across the emphasis in criminal cases of you you don't have your client talking out there. I mean, a, a first-year law student would – counsel Gervonta not to talk on the social media about the judge and the case, okay? So unless the lawyer is absolutely, utterly incompetent, and I don't think it would go to that extent, um, you know, that, that's why I can't make an excuse for him. I mean, that's just like I, I picture if he was my client and he was doing that, knowing what you would have told him. And it's tough for the lawyer, too, because, you know, the lawyer has to protect attorney-client privilege with his client. So you don't go out in open court and say, hey, judge, I told him – I told Gervonta to do this, you know, like or, – or don't do this. You don't say – you don't say that in open – that's the communication between you and your client, so you don't reveal that. So, you know, when I see him, Gervonta, making that statement, and then I, I watched it, you know, and, and – you know, yet the judge is crazy, and you're basically arguing with the judge. No, no lawyer is going to tell him to do that. And any lawyer that's competent would have told him explicitly not to do anything like that. So there, there is an element here that you know I, I don't like to just go with the stereotypes. That's the thing, but you just see it. Like there's an element here. He's not getting it. I mean, I, I think that. I actually think, frankly, you know, being in the legal system, like the spin that he didn't understand what he was supposed to do and Ford's apartment's too small and stuff, I, I think that was already sounding like the excuse making and that, you know, his lawyer was trying to cover for him saying, because um, I know this how this works too, especially on the criminal side. Javante Davis can pay this lawyer. You know, this is this is not your typical criminal client where the family's pooling money in a jar to pay you. You know, um, this is Javante Davis. You know, he just fought Ryan Garcia at a one point billion selling pay per view. So, you know, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get paid for all your work. You know, when you're representing Javante Davis, presumably. So. What I'm saying is I think the lawyer probably, probably, even though he said he did it and stuff, he he was probably covering there would be my guess, especially when I take it then with what Gervonta said on the video. That that in, in lawyer world, we're talking about clients that are, are not controllable. You know, this would be lawyer slang behind the scenes, you know, clients that aren't following instructions, difficult clients and stuff that that's, that's that kind of a maneuver. I mean, coming up on social media, calling the judge crazy and judge just didn't understand, you know, I mean, probably, I think in the modern system, one of the reasons Gervonta Davis probably got the break on the jail time to begin with was, you know, I think we're kind of looking at it more in certain situations 
you know, this this is not technically, you know, it's not a violent offense like, you know, it's not an assault, um, that type of thing. So you're saying, well, what purpose, you know, initially the judge, you know, you're saying, well, what purpose does it really have to put Javante Davis in a jail cell? You know, if if we do the home confinement, you know, and then, you know, he, he learns something from this, that's going to be a better way to go. So So that's how that would have started. So, you know, if you're the judge, you know, you're already putting yourself on the line because, you know, this stuff, this is obviously a high profile case. And and then, you know, it it hurts if a judge makes the wrong call, it hurts their reputation in the public community. So judge is looking at this. Hey, I, I thought I was making the right call for Javante Davis and society here by saying, it doesn't really make sense to put him in jail. And then I get this thing where he's not following instructions, you know, so I make it jail. And then, What's he do? He's got a vi- he's got a video up, you know, f- further further showing that he, he's he's not he's not get he's not getting he's not getting you know, exactly he, yeah he's not getting what this is about because you know it's not getting too complicated because it is part of it like you know so in the in the criminal penal system you know you have in theory you have the idea of real rehabilitation and then it's balanced with the idea of of punishment you know. So when he's not getting it, then then you know, you know that that's where you're, that's where a judge, and then really the community's then even saying like, well, this guy's got to be, you know, then then it, it kind of gets more intense. This guy's got to be punished, you know. He 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 doesn't he doesn't get it, and he's not being punished. So, you know, it just definitely, definitely really two instances of pushing it too far. I'm speculating, but I'm I'm not really a hundred percent buying that the home confinement mistake about where it was going to be was a mistake. Okay, and then I think the lawyer Javante Davis is a big client. He was probably trying to cover because, like I said, you got to go back to in lawyer world. I mean, a first year lawsuit would be telling him not to be doing things like he just did with the social media video. So you got to assume that he told him that. And then, so he's, so he's not listening to the judge. He's not listening to his lawyer. You know, these are, these are not, these are not good looks. And then if you want to look at a business perspective, Chris, we talked about this and I think it's actually being underrated. Like, you know, again, this is the manager's job is for the client. So you, you really got to say that like Al Heyman and PBC for representing their client did a good job rushing through a bunch of fights, you know, accumulating, you know, you know, concluding with, you know, at least for this stage with the Ryan Garcia fight before this occurred, because. Yeah. They got two fights in in January and April. That's pretty (laughs) damn good. Right. I mean, that was by design and, you know, you see something like this, um, I think, you know, I, I think it was by design, and I, I, you know, they know the situation even more. I'm going to guess they probably had some concerns. So, I'd say in that sense, that was good management. And you got to go way back to like 2015 when PBC started. But I don't see any reason the reports wouldn't have been true. I mean, of course, you know, it's it's boxing, and you can't control everybody's behavior and things, but. 
they were, you know, the reports were when, when Al Heyman was getting PBC started that he really, you know, he really didn't want any behavior, you know, he didn't want like behavior problems, you know, um, you know, again, you can't control everybody. These are fighters, you know, most times, of course, they're from tougher backgrounds. It's a violent sport. I perfectly understand that. And I get that, but I mean, let's assume that was true. I mean, it might very well have been true. Um, you know, it, it, it's not it's not the way they wanted some of it to go. And, you know, of course, you just came off Javante Davis with a huge pay-per-view event. So that's what you did want to happen. But let's say that those initial reports in 2015 were true. You're not happy about the other stuff. And, and it probably even – but that was looking out for Javante Davis management-wise, getting these fights in before this yeah. happened. Yeah, so uh, – yeah, I mean that that was the right move, but he's not he's not help he's not helping himself here. You know, he, he's not, and he's and he's still, I believe, got one civil case out there. So, and and you know, um, so yeah, not 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 helping himself. We'll just you know, got to say, unfor- you know, you, you were hoping for the best for him after this big event and things, but n- not not really not really good. I, I do have to say that from the legal analysis. Yeah, and I um. I remember saying, "Hope, hopefully, this will, you know, this will just sit down for a while, you know, help them really figure it out. Like, hey, dude, this is some serious stuff, and obviously that hasn't taken hold, like you said. But also, um, you know, it's, I don't know, it, it, we'll see, we'll see where this goes. Because I also was talking about last week, John, uh, later in the show of like, well, they can't really even get." They can do preliminary stuff, but they can't do a bunch of in-depth negotiations for Gervonta's next fight. They'd probably wait anyway. But, you know, Devin Haney's out there. Other guys are out there. Isak Cruz, he's got a fight coming up, yada, yada, yada. But I remember saying, well, they can only do so much right now because, one, they're trying to get proper. You know, they're trying to get – you can tell they're they're getting their, their summer and then, like, the rest of their summer – maybe even some of their fall schedule, you know, figured out now that the dominoes can fall like Boots Ennis getting a fight and whatnot with Via. And we're hearing more, um, you know, that just haven't been announced, but uh, Frank Martin's got a fight. He's going to be a main event in and stuff like that. So it's like, well, yeah, they, they really, but now they really, my point is now they really can't <laughs> figure it out because now he's got to get out of there for sure. You know, and you can't just set up all this stuff, get this stuff finalized, and he's not even – he's just going to pop out in August and sign the contract. You know, that's, that's – boxing takes a long time anyway, especially when you're talking about a pay-per-view, which Cruz or Haney would be on. Um, and that, that that's going to – you know, that if Devin Haney wants to fight one more time at 135 and it's tank, he probably needs to just sit down for a couple months and let's see in August – to make sure he's out at that time. Now, more drama outside of the ring. Oscar De La Hoya uh, and Ryan Garcia. Oscar's out there talking about a Pacquiao fight that, you know, according to anyway, Ryan, that they already talked about that fight and they don't want that fight. Because as we know, after that Ugas performance, it's just he didn't look like Pacquiao. He didn't look anywhere near that Thurman fight from two years prior to that. It's already coming on two years now. So it's like, 
yeah, maybe that Pacquiao fight really, like, I can understand Oscar and I can under, understand the zone, uh, maybe just trying to spark anything. And, and to be fair, some people are saying, well, this is another Canelo situation and he's going to go to court. It's like, well, hold on. Like, you know, you have to have offers out there that your promoter is not allowing you to fight if we go back to that. And, um, and you know, some of these fights were out there, obviously. It, it, some big money fights were out there. At that time, it was still Charlo Benavides that he was getting offered. And he's like, well, hold on, you know. If I can go fight this fight, and that's where, you know, he brought up, he was going to take him to court. They ended up saying it's over. I don't think it's the same scenario. And maybe, John, maybe that's why he's bringing up Pacquiao, because he's trying to get some kind of sizable offer out there from Saudi or, or something like that to be like, hey, I can at least do my due diligence with that. But um, so it's one thing to kind of say something, you know, but it's another thing to say, hey, you know, here you are still complaining because, you know, Ryan had a video going out talking about, hey, where, where was everybody in my corner? The Oscar De La Hoya stuff about his life was being threatened didn't really ring true, whether it was true or not, because he was at a dinner the night before. The first reason that came out was what him and B-Hop had a meeting in a, in a, in a, you know, at a dinner plan, the reservation, which that didn't make any sense because – the reservation wouldn't have been at that time. The fight actually ended earlier. The whole event ended earlier because it started an hour early. So it just was a little shaky after, and it just didn't ring true. Who knows really why Oscar wasn't there, but it didn't seem to ring true. But then you get on Twitter, and instead of just saying that to him, you know, in private, you go at your fighter, and it just kind of like I know he says he's got him a – you know, under contract till 2025 or 2026. And we know that got extended after, you know, the original one because they wanted to, you know, figure it out because he was still a prospect at that time, but he was, should have been making more money, blah, blah, blah. But to me, it's like to go at it like this on Twitter. And he was, he wasn't being honest about a meeting. I'm meeting him later, and then it turns out he wasn't meeting him later. I don't know. It just. What are your thoughts on this? And do you think it could be, you know, a standstill? Because according to Dan Raphael, Garcia and his side want to fight Roley and want to fight some more PBC guys on Showtime, and he's a little worried about how not just the Showtime compared to Showtime and zone pay-per-view as far as, you know, how long they've been at it, you know, as far as knowing how to do it in the reach and, and all that. But also, you know, to be fair, there was some issues they've had of late with their pay-per-view on zone. So what are your thoughts? Because, like I said, you kind of hate to see promoter and fighter going to the Twitter streets instead of just handling it like men. Yeah, I don't... Behind closed don't, doors. Like, I'm not saying yeah, I usually don't like to read too much in the comments, but I feel like this is really clear from Ryan Garcia, and and I've tweeted it out after reading a, a few things. I, I think it's clear enough to me. Um, I think he wants out of the Golden Boy deal. Now, the reports are the Golden Boy deal goes to 2026, but I think there's all every indication from Ryan Garcia in comments and then reports. It looks to me like, he straight out wants out. You know, 
right after the fight, there was reports from some independent people that he, he really enjoyed working with Showtime. And, and, you know, I think that's logical. I mean, you know, you know, he's an American. The zone's low profile. Also, he's in this joint pay-per-view with Tank. You know, he's getting interviewed by the Showtime people. You know, I mean, that's a, you know, that that's an entity under the same umbrella as CBS, you know. So, you know, we're talking as big as you can get in American TV in terms of the organization. And he's getting all that publicity. And then, you know, he, he's got to go back to the zone, you know, because and, – and that's where it does fit. I mean, the Canel – this I, – I do know how they kind of leveraged it. I mean, really, you know, Canelo didn't have any out on his the zone deal either. But the argument he made that ended up forcing the hand of Golden Boy and, and got him out of the deal was – that you didn't act in my best interest. You you put me in the zone deal because you Golden Boy wanted money. You took five million for yourself. Um, right. You weren't looking out. And for there me. was that they signed something where he had say in his opponent, but then they turned around and signed something with the zone, saying the zone has the opponent final. And obviously that's how it turned out. Because remember, they wouldn't give him other fights. Right, but he was mainly, you know, it was at that point, you know, that that was just a, and, and you know how you do that as a lawyer, it is your job to be creative for your client, be creative on theories, and right. I knew that's what they were at the time, I mean, it was, let's be creative to try to see if we can leverage Canelo out of this deal, and that's what they were able to do, they, they got Canelo, because look, then Canelo did every fight except plant on the zone, so, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't like Canelo had to get away from the zone in his own mind, which that surprised me and a lot, and I think a lot of other people. That's still a bit of a head scratcher to me, but it just shows you how much he wanted Golden Boy out. I mean, it, it was just, it was just like, it was just a leverage. It was just yeah. a creation to get leverage to get out of the deal. So, you know, I would think you know Ryan Garcia would have to go get his own attorneys. You know, he, he would have the money to do that um, and, you know, get together with his team of people he trusts and then, you know, get get some creative attorneys who do some contract work to, to try to get him out of this deal to 2026. Because, you know, he, he probably, with the money earning power he's just shown with the Davis fight, you know, he, he probably doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to be, you know, I give Mikey Garcia some credit for that. People like to criticize him, criticize him but you know, he, he wanted out of the top rank deal, didn't have an argument like that or, or couldn't find one, and he just sat it out. Uh, you know, cost him, you know, years off his career, um, but he wanted out with top rank. Um, so, you know, that's – but that, that that's, you know, like in other words, you know, I, I think it's probably what he's looking at now is, you know, Ryan Garcia doesn't want to sit out till 20 – he doesn't want to sit out till 2026 and just say, I'm not going to fight. So that's where he needs a, a, a good, you know, a good group of lawyers who can make some creative arguments if they think there's something there and try to get him out of this deal. But I'm, I'm convinced by his comments. And then he said Tank team cared more about me than, than you know, Golden Boy. Right. Uh, and actually, he, you could kind of – they were actually embracing each other's, like, families and stuff. So there was some of that going on, you know. And then the final kicker is he fired Joe Goosen, and he's got pictures of 
you know, yeah, himself exactly. with James <laughs> and yeah, Errol right. Spence. I mean, you know, sure, like it just lines up. He trains Joshua now, but still, you know, of course, Errol Spence is one of P- PBC's primary original guys, and you know, he's getting photos taken with him. I mean, I, I don't, I don't playing. I, I think he wants out. I really do. I think he wants out, um, and he it's going to take lawyers to do that and to see if they can they feel he's got an argument. I mean, maybe he's got one there. You know, I don't, I don't know what the circumstances of the deal were and what it says and that, that type of thing. Um, because golden boy still does have this, the zone deal and, you know, the, these fighters with golden, golden boy, you know, they're ending up on the zone. Of course, then golden boy can say, well, you knew that when you signed the deal and things like that. But I'm just wondering if a, if, if a good contract lawyer, a good team of contract lawyers can feel like, that they did do with Canelo, that they can at least make an argument to try to get them, you know, find it out. out strong enough just to find it out. Like, in other words, you know, Canelo, he didn't get like paid damages or anything like that, which normally you'd be looking for in that type of situation. Right. If, if you really felt you had a strong case there, but he got out. And that, that's what I'm talking about with Ryan Garcia. Like, you know, you're, you're making the allegations and pleading the complaint, you know, for a, a breach of contract or something like that you know, for damages, but really the, the end goal is you just want out. Uh, that's what Canelo did, and that's what I think this would be too. You know, it, can he find somebody that thinks he's got enough to do that if he wants to? So I'm, you know, based on all this what I, that I've seen, I am, you know, making an educated guess that he wants out of that deal if, if, if it can be done. That would be wild. That would be really, really wild. If they ended up. Yeah. And he said he wants Man. to fight Raleigh. I mean, I, I think he wants. I think he wants out of that deal. I mean, I, I think he. I think he wants out of that. I don't think he wants Oscar doing those fights. When he he wants out of that deal. All right, John. I appreciate you stopping by. Anything else at all? That's about it. Just what I'd say because I do like the fight. Actually, uh, I think uh, Mungi and Derry Vyanchenko is actually a little better oh, yeah, fight yeah. than people think. Uh, and the reason is this. I'm not quite as down on Munguia as some people. I'm down on who he's been fighting lately, um, but not as much down on him with talent as some people. Yeah, but as I him think as why I think it's boxer. Right, but I think where it's a better fight to me than some people are thinking is, yeah, I get it that Barry Vyanchenko isn't what he was, but what interests me about the fight, and I think people aren't looking at is, you know, when when he fought Adamas and he got upset, we didn't think Adamas was going to be that good, and Adamas has looked that good since. So that's to me what people aren't quite looking at is yeah, I think it's a faded Derevianchenko, but we got to now look back with the information we have now at the Adamas loss. Adamas has proven to be better than we thought he was, and then the fight being over 160. I think what a lot of other people don't know is. Early in his career, before he settled in that middleweight, Dervianchenko was also fighting over 160 uh, quite a few times. So he doesn't really have the physical look for it, but he had a lot of fights even early on uh, at that weight. So it might not be as bad for him as people think, even though Munguia is the, the taller the taller guy. So I'm not picking Dervianchenko, but... I do think this is a little better fight than a lot of people think, and that's what's got me interested. 
Yeah, I think that's a fair, you know, fair assessment, especially the way you, you put it. Sometimes, yeah, yeah it, it, I think we can all agree he's faded, but, um, yeah, it doesn't mean he doesn't have zero in the tank or he's just like a, a you know, a, a, a dead body. Well, I don't mean to say it like that, but just like not right. much there, a punching bag is what I meant to say. And, um, right. And we know how he can just do he like he'll get hurt normally uh, at least once or twice a fight, but he does find a way to like make it really competitive as the fight goes on. We saw that even with Jacobs and Golovkin, and not so much Charlo, but he did really still push Charlo and stuff and landed some good shots and whatnot. And yeah, he's got a track record of that, so. We'll see. I mean, Munguia definitely needs a, a you know, a, a really good performance here because, uh, you know, outside of the ring and, and the promoting behind him and hate to stay, you know, stay in this area, but Golden Boy, you know, I mean, there's a, I mean, the, the, the Charlo fight really, it's been reported that zone wasn't even trying to have it as a, a split pay-per-view. And that's not even a pay-per-view fight, let alone a split pay-per-view fight anyway. And when a fighter and a manager agrees the terms and you have both guys on, both boxers and managers on the same, you know, terms, it's like, and Showtime was ready to do it on normal Showtime, it's like, clearly, Oscar stepped in and stopped that fight. And I don't know, man. It, it's yeah, just, I uh, think- my take on that is we, we all think it's crazy and probably rightfully so, but it does, believe it or not, tie in what I was just saying with Ryan Garcia and Golden Boy. They might you know, right. have problems with him. They're, they don't have much left. Um, we don't see it this way, but I think Oscar has for a while, um, and then that did blow up the Charlo thing because of risk. I think Oscar thinks that lightning is going to strike twice and that – Right. There's going to be a day that Mungi is going to be a Canelo in terms of popularity. Another Canelo, right? Yeah, I mean we we can all say that's crazy. It's not going to happen. I honestly and they did sign it. Ryan Garcia. Everybody else could have signed Ryan Garcia, but they did. Right. I mean, I, I just think that he he thinks if he hangs on with Mungi long enough and keeps right. winning, that all of a sudden it's it's going to lightning's going to strike and, and he's going to be the, the next Canelo in terms of popularity, you know, particularly with the Mexican and Mexican American audience. I, I think that's what Oscar believes. And that's why we right. keep saying, why is he doing this with him? Why is he playing it safe? Why does this keep going on? Why is he not fighting Charlo? I think that's why, you know, we can, we can think that's never going to happen and be crazy, but sure. I think he, he figures I was the guy that, you know, really brought Canelo to the forefront and it happened with him. I can, you know, you know, we can do this again yeah. with Mungi. It's not looking that way. And I, I don't see, I, don't, I think the zone just doesn't give him that kind of exposure. I, I think. Right. Yeah. If, yeah, if for anything can else, move that's in the, you know, it's yeah, going to be that, a nice crowd. His last fight was a good crowd. He can move tickets. My thing is to stop it. And then months later say, why is Charlo Duncan? You know, to me, that's what bugs me. It's like, come on guys. Like, you don't need to come out and say that that fight, you know, that that's my problem. It's, it's, it's stopping it, clearly stopping it, because in his own words, he stopped it. Um, but it's, it's that whole thing, now Charlo doesn't want, oh, now the WBC. Yeah, we know. 
the WBC should either strip Charlo or put him on recess. We already know that. That's very true. But to sit there and bet into the Munguia stuff, it's like, dude, just stop, man. I understand you got to promote, but that's the the modern – well, it's not modern day. It just spreads more uh, than word of mouth because of Twitter and stuff Uh, because they used to do this stuff before too. But that's my biggest thing is to turn around and be like, oh, he doesn't want the fight. It's like, okay, dude, whatever. But either way – Right. It's that typical stuff like Eddie Hearn throwing out, we want to fight this guy, and, and you laugh. Right. You know, you know, considering the Wilder fight or something, and then Dillian White, it's going to be Dillian White August 12th. That, that kind of nonsense that we get sick of. Um, yeah, I think Oscar just doesn't want Munguia to take too high of a risk as long as he yeah. thinks he's going to, you know, be his next Canelo. So I think that's what we're dealing with. But, the, the, you know, for, for the fact, the case that they're doing that, this isn't too bad of a fight uh, Saturday night. So, you know, it, it, it'll, it'll be somewhat. Good. All right, John, you have a good night. Enjoy the weekend. All right, Chris, thanks for having me as always. All right, take it easy. All righty. Like I said, Munguia can move tickets. I mean, it's not a hater thing. He agreed to the fight with Charlo. You know what I mean? It's not him doing all the quote-unquote not wanting the fight ducking, right? It's not him. It's not him. And, you know, people being protected, you know, Gervonta was protected for a while. They didn't want him to, uh, you know, face Lomachenko. Clearly, Mayweather came out and said it. But he also didn't come out and say, you know, uh, I never heard, you know, send me the clip, but I never heard Mayweather said that Loma's ducking. You know, he's the one that said, we're, we're moving him at the pace we're going to move him at. He's younger, blah blah blah. But he but he said it. He did say it. You could, but but he didn't. I I never heard him come back and be like, oh, Lomachenko's ducking. You know, he actually was the one that came out and said that they're not going to fight him right now. But so I get that. It's just that it's just that other part. You know, like I said, Munguia can sell some tickets. This his last couple fights. His last fight. Just checked the tickets not long ago. They're selling. He he's an exciting fighter. You know, maybe he hasn't made uh, leaps and bounds in the last few years, but a lot of it is, to be frank, his competition too, you know. But he can fight. He's uh, he's an all-action guy. He, he can, you know, he's a fun fighter to watch, dude. But you can't stay young forever, right? And he's not 21 anymore, you know. And I get some of the fights that it, it makes more sense to do this fight instead of that fight, but meaning like the Janabek at 160. I think he can beat him, but you know, there's not a lot of money in the fight, and, and Janabek's tied to ESPN, so the fight has to be on ES10, and it's a, it's a mess, right? Actually, I don't know. If, if DeZone offered a lot of money, but then why would DeZone overpay Janabek? You know, so it's, this is where politics do come in. So I'm not blaming Munguia, just after a while, you know. And I have heard quotes of him saying he don't want it, you know. Not not him that he doesn't want it, but all these other fighters, you know, Charlo Duck. And that's a little like someone put a battery in his back. Whatever. I just, I think it's time. It's time for Munguia. And, and this is a good, this is a step in the right direction. Now, I believe it's at 168. 
that's another thing. Is he good to go at 160 for sure? Um, and I did get some messages on this. The Dan Raphael stuff, I'm going to get to my Taylor stuff in just a second. But the, it says uh, Dan Raphael, basically, he talked to the management of Ryan Garcia, um, and, and it just starts like this. So when De La Hoya tweeted that he was ready to sit down with Garcia and his representatives to get work on the next uh, fight, uh, that was no surprise. Can't wait to meet Ryan Garcia on Tuesday. The four fighters I have lined up for his, you know, that's what De La Hoya posted. Um that the the pushback oh, I can't hold on this is a little weird here the illicit pushback from Garcia um, his you know his advisor and attorney um, Guadalupe he said who said the supposed meeting did not take place and there there were no plans for a meeting neither Ryan Garcia nor his representatives have or had a meeting with Oscar Goldenboy to set opponents for the next fight. That's what he told Fight Freaks Unite, uh, Dan Raphael. So, and then they go on to say, you know, not being there after the fight and all that. And and then it goes on to say Garcia enjoyed his, his experience working with Showtime and that he was reluctant to do a pay-per-view because of the tremendous problems the streaming service had delivering the Showtime pay-per-view broadcast to its customers. So that is part of it. Now, how big of a part of it and, and to be fair, that was a much bigger pay-per-view than him and Roley. So would they really have that many problems? I think it's more the distributor and the reach that Showtime has with CBS and Paramount rather than just the zone. Um, but he said, you know, I, I want to fight uh, Isak Cruz or Romero. Uh, his preference would to be do it on Showtime pay-per-view. Um, if making this uh, Davis Garcia – or, or it says in making Davis Garcia, uh, Golden Boy DeZone eventually, you know, allowed that to happen. However, Golden Boy DeZone would take a much different view, allowing Garcia to fight show, on Showtime pay-per-view against Romero Cruz because he is, although Isak Cruz, he has gotten a lot more popular since that Gervonta fight. You could tell when he's in the ring and they announce his name. You could tell when he's at fights. He is a bigger deal. It's still not as big a and same with the Roley. Roley's known, but not really, really, you know? So, obviously, DAZN and Golden Boy would be like, why would they need to go to Showtime for that fight, you know? And then back to why would that need to be a split? Um, but if Garcia's going to fight this fall as he plans to do, uh, they'll need to work out something. The, to the end of 2026, um, he's under contract and has that – and has every intentions of fulfilling the obligations uh, to him by offering a fight and having his own handle it. I don't know. I don't know. But then, like I said, that Pacquiao thing, I guess they had already talked, and, and he doesn't want to do the Pacquiao fight. And to be fair, the Pacquiao fight isn't where it was, right? Obviously. After that Ugas fight, it's kind of like, all right, dude, he's finally done. That last hurrah, the 2019 Thurman fight, Pacquiao Thurman, that was a great fight, by the way. I think he kind of left it in the ring there. Um, but he's had a great career, obviously. I'm not dissing Manny Pacquiao. But the guy's old, dude. I mean, you don't see Floyd out there wanting to fight real fights. He's doing exhibitions. And I'm okay with that. I don't, I don't have a problem with that at all. Anyway, 
Let's get into this Teofimo Josh Taylor. You know, I agree with wanting to see the weigh-in. The weigh-in definitely matters on this one. I'm going to do a prediction, but I think it does matter in this for both guys, not just Teo, but both guys. Because Taylor, you know, previously had issues with weight. He even said it, how, how much longer can I be at this weight? But, you know, he did get a nutritionist, and we know how that works. We've, we've heard about a lot of fighters in the last few years finally be like, we can't do it the old school way, dude. We can't just rely on shit. We, we got we to gotta be smart and get the weight down correct. And there's, you know, the sports science has improved so much, you might as well take advantage of it. You got the money, you might as well. Even a guy like LeBron spends, you know, what was it, a million or something on his body. Like, just to just to be in proper 100% shape. Obviously, he doesn't have to lose weight. But anyway, here's some keys. Lopez, to me, has to be smart, but he can't be overly tentative. You know, jab-wise, I'd like to see him get back to that, whether it is not just to the head, uh, whether it's fainting with it whether it's to the chest or to the body, whatever. I'd like to see it more. And you could probably say that for both guys. Both guys uh, need to use the jab. And I think Lopez actually has some issues with the jab. Now, he can counter the jab, but I think that'd be pretty big for Taylor as well. Um, You know, Tio definitely more explosive. He's a great counter puncher. He's athletic. Uh, at times, like I mentioned, he can show really good head movement and just, boom, hit you right back. Um, but, you know, he, he – my thing is it's like he, he does lunge punch. Both of these guys lunge punch, by the way. In fact, Taylor will lunge and kind of he kind of falls – and at times falls over his punch on the way in. And instead of being a come-forward fighter – as he makes his, you know, way inside, he gets clipped. And I could see Teofima Lopez, Lopez, excuse me, landing something like that. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just think on, on the Taylor side, I, I just, like I said, tentative, smart but, ten, but not be tentative. And I think overall – I just think overall he does, like I mentioned, he, he re- relies, Tiafimo relies on his reflexes too much. He's a great counterpuncher. He can counter a jab. He can do all this stuff. But I think he relies on a defense, and you could even say offensively sometimes, where he's just going to jump punch into something and get clipped on the way in. And then, you know, does – what will Teo, like, can Teofimo adjust when adversity presents itself? Because it's going to present itself, right? And obviously, you know, Josh Taylor got that crafty inside stuff. You know, it's Taylor's craft and the inside short punching, the veteran tricks. Like I said, hitting on the clinch with the free hand or just being rough on the clinch before he gets in, Okay. Um, I like to mention this. Uh, oh, and obviously he doesn't want to. He Tiafimo doesn't want to sit there and bang for extended portions of a round on the inside because that's where that craft, that short punching, Taylor just 
you know, look at the Ramirez fight now. I know that's two different styles, but that that can that can make a big difference. Um, I, I like to mention certain folks, whether it's on Boxing Twitter or uh, on YouTube or whatever. Boxing Gem, he actually just recently went Patreon, and I'm gonna I'm gonna um, I'm gonna sign up for the Patreon. Now that I think about it, I don't think I did, but I'm going to because I, I like to support people that are you know do quality work. But he's got you know he's got a breakdown prediction. Like I said, as far as YouTube videos, right? Like Boxing Jim, because he's got the footage right there. Boxing Jim breaks them down with the video, not just predicting it like a lot of great folks do uh, on YouTube that I've mentioned for a long time, breaking it down. And actually, Carcino is about to pop on. He's been doing it for a long, long time, too. Um, But I'm talking about with video and showing you what he's saying. Just wanted to shot him out there. But he, he made a good point of that low lead hand and how he drops it a lot. Now, he can block punches with it. Uh, he can create little openings. But the combination of the low lead, uh, hand, lead hand and then the open stance, he gets hit with jabs. He gets hit with punches. He, he drops it when he punches. You know, so it's, there's a plus and a minus. And a guy like um, Taylor is really good with that lead hand, positioning and landing jabs on the way in and whatnot. And like he even said, you know, T.O., both of them leap, but he leaps into bad positioning. And that's where he's susceptible to counters. And in that video, especially the hook counter he pointed out, and I thought that was really good. I, you know, I, I think it'd be smart especially if it's plus 150 and above to put some money on T.O. Um, I think this fight will go the distance, um, but I'm picking Josh Taylor by, like, split decision, majority decision. I actually think it'll be a very, very close fight. Now, here's another little, you know, interesting point here. Um, So they got, they have, excuse me, they have, judges for the fight, right? Well, obviously you have judges for the fight. That was a stupid way to put it. But they have two out of the three judges are not what you'd, you know, let's just put it this way. He says, Josh Taylor gets balanced judges in BoxingScene.com. Headline, Josh Taylor gets balanced judging panel for Teofimo, right, as his team requested. Um, One's from, you got a dude from England, you got a, a New Jersey and Quebec, so two different countries and an American one. But when you look at the track record, you know, and he even says, obviously, I requested the three different judges, not all being American, so hopefully uh, they accept it, and, and they did. He did get it. But do you look at having different judges from different countries, or, or do you want quality judges? Right, and actually, Adam from SN Boxing said this is absurd. Two of these, two of these judges are just not good. It doesn't matter what country they came from. Uh, what's the point of getting a mediocre judge from Canada? And that's a great tweet, you know, because it's like, yeah. So that, you know what I mean? That <laughs> this can all play into it now. You know, this can literally play into what we're gonna see, and I don't know. 
You know, I'm a little kind of shaky now. It's like, hmm, is that really going to matter? You know, is that going to actually, actually backfire? You know, and by the way, um, someone sent me a Jake Donovan, what's up, Jake, tweet about that Holmes and Toussaint and uh, Holmes's corner. And I actually didn't have the volume up all the way at this time. Uh, because I actually went back and watched it later. But um, basically, Holmes' corner said you needed a knockout to win. Um, so, you know, it's like even his own corner thought they were losing the fight. It, 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 saying you needed a knockout to win is different than, hey, we need these last couple rounds. But without further ado, let's go ahead and bring in Carcino, Carcino for life and talk about this Tiafimo Lopez, Josh Taylor. We'll talk about Oscar and Ryan Garcia. We'll talk about Tank. We'll talk about a variety of stuff. What's going on, Garcino? How the hell are you doing, my friend? Well, I'm doing great, man. Um, just been busy, but since, like, since I woke up, it's been like, boom. Because at first, when you said, like, let's do this tomorrow, I'm thinking you meant Wednesday. <laughs> oh, yeah, by the time you, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true, because it was a late, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like did it, was it Tuesday? <laughs> then, thankfully, I saw it. I said, oh, my God, let me get in now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was well, glad you made it, sir. Me too. Now, everybody's going to that Catterall fight. When they talk about Josh Taylor, you know, and, right? You know, that's that's what they, you know, you're only as good as your last fight. But Teofimo Lopez really didn't look good in his last outing, which was a tune-up for him, you know, uh, and that didn't look good. So everyone's like, man, you know, Teofimo's done. You know, he fought Martin, and, and that really didn't go well. And, uh, you know, Sandra Martin actually, you know, did quite well. I mean, it wasn't like he was like a bum, but they thought Teofimo Lopez was just going to walk through the guy, and he had a tough night. So everyone's banking on this fight to go where Josh Taylor is just going to outsmart uh, Lopez all the way through because he's the most technical fighter in the game. Well, in the ring, rather. But here's where I see a difference in this fight. Teofimo Lopez not only brings a more physical factor to the to the table, I think he's the most athletic fighter that that uh, Lopez has faced. I mean, that uh, Taylor has faced. Taylor has not fought a guy who's as athletic. That's Teofimo Lopez. Now, Lopez could get hit right away. Like, his defense is, to me, is, like, awful. He's making technical errors that could get him knocked out because he depends so much on his athleticism and being first with his offense. His power could be the difference in the fight. And seeing how Josh Taylor moves the fight forward, I see this fight being extremely close. Like, I'm thinking maybe draw, but I'm leaning towards a split decision in favor of Teofimo Lopez. 
I think he gets his hand raised by a split decision. Could be controversial, but I've seen him get it. But I think he's actually got the ability to best Taylor in some rounds. Taylor needs to box someone that's going to be still, not moving in front of him so he can figure him out, so he can land his, land his shots. But if you're physical with him, if you can get physical with him and make a tough night for him, I want to see how he deals with that. Because everybody's going to go back to the Catarill fight and says, okay, he saw what he was able to do. And he took away all of your setups. And everyone was trying to make all these excuses for Taylor, like he had problems making the way. Um, this was going wrong, that was going wrong. And he definitely did not win that uh, Catarill fight at all. Definitely 114-111 was a crime. But... Uh, I also see opportunities. Now, if Lopez comes in the ring like he did when he fought uh, Martin, he's going to lose. That's just period. So I'm, I'm quite sure that was his wake-up call. And I think we'll see Teofimo in better, like, physical condition for this fight. And he's going to find a way to, you know, win rounds in this fight. Being aggressive, Taylor, I don't think, will have chances to set traps like he did before. Uh, Taylor's really good. He's a crafty guy when he's moving around. But I just don't, you know, he, he, he takes slight steps. And that's what I like about it with his footwork. He's got great footwork in the ring uh, when it comes to when, when his space isn't invaded and he's able to be first. If he can be first all night, and beat you to the spot and use slight steps and movements, he can control Teofimo, but if he's forced off his mark and Teofimo is definitely takes a wide stand in the ring, which uh, makes it harder for him to get hit in the body, which is, you know, that's why most fighters adapt to a wide stand. You know, they, they don't usually get hit with body shots. So it leads to guys invading their space. You know, um, Teofimo needs to work the jab, but he has to be defensive. He's got to keep his hands up. If he doesn't keep his hands up, if he's not physical enough, if he can't smother the work of Taylor, he's in for a long night. He's in for a very long night. And I just think he has the ability to win some rounds and win a probably seven seven rounds to five uh, decisions, so. Yeah, I mean, he's a, I, I got him, I saw him anywhere from like a plus 130 all the way up to like a plus 155, and it's like, even if, you, if folks that don't think Lopez is going to win, you may want to throw something on that because, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, the Ring TV, uh, they're, they're, uh, you know, their website, they have it 20 to zero as far as picks for Josh Taylor. I mean, that's wild. Dude. Anything yeah, under a plus wild. 200 is, I mean, it's a 50-50 fight. Yeah, it really is. And that's why I'm just like, wow, that is amazing to me that they have Josh Taylor ranked so high. 
Like, I thought Josh Taylor was going to destroy Catterell. I was like, oh, my God. Like, and then after the fight went on, I said, oh, geez, what is going on here? Because Tank Davis was supposed to fight Taylor. And that's the fight that the public wanted to see, who was the real, the real champion of the division. I'm like, Taylor is the champion of this division, and he doesn't get the respect he deserves. And then after the Catterell fight, I was like, oh, man, they should run this fight back. Like, what What are they doing? This has to happen again. But it didn't happen for whatever said reasons. And here we are. <laughs> we're facing, we're going to watch this fight here in total amazement. Because uh, I think the people are starting, some people are starting to put money on uh, on Teofimo Lopez. You know, there's some people putting money down on him. I'm one of yeah. them. <laughs> so. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I picked them, picked against them by you know split decision type majority decision, but I think it's worth it, man. I definitely think it's worth it. Oh, one hundred percent. I think that uh, when this is said and done, the way this all breaks down, when it's over, people are going to say, "Oh, okay, all right, we got something here that's worth something." You know, like this is a great fight. You know, boxing is starting to slowly crawl itself back up with these fights popping around. And then now that we finally officially have Crawford and Spence, you know, now people are like, hey, all right, now we need to get the heavyweight division back woke up. You know, and Tyson Fury is, you know, he's difficult to negotiate with. So, <laughs> Given the day difficult. or week, he's, he's you know, so he's listed like eight or ten guys that he's quote unquote negotiated with, you know. Yeah, because that's the thing with Tyson Fury. He's always been a tough person to negotiate with, and once you have somebody that's tough to negotiate with, making the fights is more of a concession. You're mentally exhausted from the negotiation. But I think. This fight, just like the Devin Haney fight, or uh, a lot of people saw these fights and, like, they saw a lot of flaws in Devin Haney's game. They saw a lot of flaws, and a lot of the fighters that came out to give their all, there was a lot of, you know, chatter going like, hey, but at least they're fighting. You know, like, it was a fight. Those guys got in the ring. So it's like, we're happy to see that. Now, what's this Ryan Garcia and Oscar De La Hoya news? I haven't heard anything. Okay, well, of course, they they decided to take it, especially Oscar, uh, to Twitter rather than behind closed doors. But this video got out where Garcia was just ex- kind of explaining, you know, after the fight, we all know Oscar, you know, didn't didn't go to the press conference this, that, and the third. And Oscar basically says, "Hey, listen, you know, uh, you know, it's been over a month. Stop bitching about it. You only have something, you know, you only have yourself to blame. You quit in the fight type stuff, right? I, I'm just I'm just giving you an overview, basically. You only have yourself to blame. You lost, blah blah blah. But he's also saying to the public that." And on camera that he's got this meeting coming up with him and his people, which turned out not to be true, you know. Then he's pitching like a Pacquiao fight, 
and I guess Ryan Garcia's side have already said, dude, you know, like, that ship has sailed with Pacquiao. We're, we're not even looking at that fight. We're looking at uh, Isak Cruz and Roley. Obviously, they're looking at Roley, you know. Um, right. So he, co- he comes out and, and uh, you know, just starts swinging at him. And it's like, well, dude, you know, I don't know if it's the best way to handle it, Oscar, to do that. And they started getting in a tit for tat, and they had this little Twitter war. Um, and now a lot of people are saying, you know, since they had so many issues uh, with the pay-per-view, not even, you know, on the zone, that it's like, I, it sounds like he wants out of Golden Boy. Uh, or, or just like, let's stay on the same page type stuff. But yeah, basically, Oscar kind of went there saying, hey, you know, and, and what he says, I'm not saying is crazy at all. It just, you could probably save it to just call him or FaceTime and be like, hey, dude, let's talk about this rather than going to the public. Because what Ryan Garcia was already talking about, we already knew that he didn't go. And, and, you know, Oscar's excuse was really silly. It didn't really line up with reality as why why he wasn't at the, the presser. So they just been going back and forth. That's all. Oh, okay. So the whole matter of that situation is that Ryan Garcia wants to leave England, but he realized contractually he would be screwed because he's screwed. So now it's like he really wants to go, but he can't go. So this, to create this type of atmosphere, it's like, oh, man, this really what's going on. But they were working on the Roley fight before this fight even took place, the fight that he just lost with Tank. They were already talking about doing work with, with Roley, making a fight with him and uh, Ryan Garcia because he's too green. Oscar De La Hoya was actually helping Roley, giving him tips on how to fight in his upcoming fight. So I already knew what the what the play was because he really wants he really likes Roley. He wants to make that fight and feed Roley to uh, Ryan Garcia. The battle of the green. Who's greener? <laughs> But here, the thing is, is that they sparred, and Roley got the best of him when they sparred. So it's an even fight because it's like, look, Ryan Garcia is more technically sound now than he was when they sparred. He's not the same fight. It's like saying Clarissa Shields and her fight, you know. She was not the same person that she was when she got knocked down by Hannah Gabriel when she first turned pro. She's way better sure. than than where she is right now. So eventually, you're going to get better at what you do. Hopefully, your craft improves as you get older. Now, we've seen in boxing and, and sports, period, some people digress or they never stay the same. They just think it's fine. But the matchup is incredible because you got Roley's power. Now, Roley's an awkward puncher because he comes from martial arts and family of martial artists and jiu-jitsu and all this. So he punches awkwardly, but he's strong. He's really strong. And Tank has felt that power. You know, like I felt he dropped Tank in that fight. Um, 
Like, I was like, man, I think he dropped Tank when he caught him with, I think he caught him with a right hand, and Tank kind of, like, went down, fell on him, and then went to the ground. I think that could have been scored a knockdown when I watched that fight. But, uh, yeah, Roley can hit. So if he does hit Ryan Garcia, can Ryan take it? And that's the thing, you know. Uh, right. Will he see it? Yeah, he took tank punches, and he didn't get knocked out. <laughs> but when he took the body shot, you know, he took a shot and was able to get up and continue the fight. So it'll be an interesting fight. I think um, Ryan Garcia can win the fight, probably by knockout. And that's the one thing about that fight. I think it will end in knockout. Somebody's going to get knocked out. And that's why I'm like, that's going to be great. I'm, I'm interested in seeing that fight. So that's how I see that going. Now, yeah, you know, as far as Terrence and Errol Spence, um, there's a reason Terrence Crawford is the favorite. <laughs> and that's why I tell people, I was like, Terrence Crawford wouldn't be the favorite if he did not beat Sean Porter. If he didn't stop Sean Porter and they had did this fight back then, Errol Spence would be the favorite. Now it's like evening out. They're saying, well, I don't know. Errol Spence is still Errol Spence, you know. So people start putting money on Errol because he's a more popular fighter, and it's like the the fighter's fighter. (laughs) Like the people that really know boxing know Terrence Crawford. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so it's it's up in the air. It's all about who you like, but I'm looking at it from not just a fan's perspective. Yeah, I'm, I'm like I'm looking at it from a boxing perspective, and from a boxing perspective, I see one thing that Arrow do that could help him in the fight that would benefit him, but can he consistently stay with it? That is staying with his jab. Keep working that jab, consistently popping that jab, and staying with it and controlling it. Um, Ugas fought with Taylor Mays, put up a high guard, and just stood there with something I've never seen him fight like. He hurt Errol in the first round. And Errol was disturbingly worried and concerned about the, the power of Ugas in the first round of the fight when they fought. And he's like, yeah, man, he's strong. And they was like, man, don't worry about his power. Don't worry about his power. You just keep doing the work. You you got this. You're going to be all right. And then later in the fight, we saw how that power came to be. With Errol's body attack and the way he stayed on Ugas served him well in the fight. Now, they was like, oh, He's going to do that to Terrence Crawford. He's a better body puncher than Terrence. Terrence is. I'm like, well, Terrence Crawford throws meaningful shots. When he goes to the body, it's not like I'm just digging. I mean, Errol's like a garbage pail worker. You know, he puts the work in, but he's not a big puncher. He's a strong He's a strong fighter, but he doesn't know how to finish guys and get guys out of it. You know, he, he hasn't had a knockout, and I don't know, his man down campaign, he hasn't really stopped anybody. He's a good timing puncher. You mean puncher. out, out. You 
because obviously U- Ugas in the last fight he did, but you mean well, yeah, like knockout, knockout? Right, you know, he stopped him because his eye closed, so the doctor stopped it. But he never dropped Ugas. You know, like Ugas' eye socket got broken in the fight, so that's why they stopped it. But that's what I'm saying. That was his first stoppage in a long time. He couldn't stop Danny Garcia. He couldn't stop Mikey Garcia. And these are fights he is 10 times bigger than them. And he couldn't stop them because he can, he, he had them hurt and didn't even know how to get them on the ground. He, not, he didn't even drop them. So, I mean, it's like I get it with Arrow. They, they want to make him this, this guy, but I've been knowing him his entire career. I've seen, uh, I've seen him spar, you know, uh, the Mayweather spar, you know, and when they brought him in, and here's the thing, it, it, it was funny because he had, this is where his fame came from, what he did with Adrian Broner and what he did with Floyd Mayweather. That's where his fame came from, two sparring sessions. <laughs> like they brought him in to help out to get him in shape, uh, for a fight, they brought in um, they brought in uh, Errol Spence, and Errol, I think he was fighting Madonna or something, uh, one of those fights, and they brought in Errol to, you know. Yeah, I think it was Guerrero. It might it might have been Guerrero. Uh, yeah, it might have been Guerrero. So they wanted to bring somebody in who was going to bring pressure, like the ghost Guerrero would bring and something like that. And while he's in there, Floyd hadn't fought in a while. So, you know, the camp, the early camps, he had success over Floyd. But, you know, as the camp went on, Floyd became Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> so once he, it became, he became Floyd Mayweather, you know, he was not, the arrow that had the success in the beginning of the camp. Like, he was looking good. Like, man, Arrow's looking good against Floyd, but it's like they're there to get work in. <laughs> this is not a real fight. Lamont Peterson did the same routine. And in this in this um, campaign, in the last day, Arrow Spence was almost knocked out by Floyd Mayweather. Wobbled. On his feet, wobbling. Like, you've been seeing him lately in this fight. He got his bell rung by Floyd with a, a, a right uppercut. And the last, that was the last time they sparred. Um, the first, like, during that camp, it was a it was a heated one. Fire, Floyd fired him, actually, when he hit him one time. Uh, and Floyd had kicked him out. And Errol was packing his stuff. He was going to go. And then... And uh, I remember Nate telling Floyd, "Don't, like, don't do that. Don't do that. Go." So Floyd went back and talked to him and said, "Hey, you know that's what it is. Hey, it's good. You know, don't worry about it. Like uh, we just was hot at it. You ain't fired. Once you back and hit tomorrow." <laughs> so that was that was early on in that camp because he was having so much success in there, but him and Floyd had gotten heated. So Floyd had threw him out. So after this this last day, they sparred against each other. Floyd hit him with an uppercut and almost dropped him. If Floyd would have continued, he would have stopped Arrow. 
like if he was trying to finish him. So he hit him with an uppercut, and then they stopped it. Like, whoa, whoa, and Aaron was gay. He was out of it. So Nate, Nate was like all the pumped up then because he knew, you know, Floyd was ready for the fight, and he's all pumped up, and he starts yelling at Errol Spence. And he was like, yeah, that's right. He knocked you out. You knocked out right now. And Errol takes the mouthpiece out. He's like, man, I know you kiss ass. I didn't know you sucked D, too. And he said that to Nate Jones. Oh, Jesus Christ. Nate Jones <laughs> jumps over the ropes and was going to hit Errol Spence. <laughs> In the ring, Errol is ready to fight Nate Jones. What was Nate Floyd had to grab Nate? He's like, Nate, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> no, we don't do that in here. Man. You know that. So yeah, it was it was heated at that time. But they were all calmed down. They all went out to dinner after that. Eight, and they were all good because uh, Floyd's. Uh, I mean, Daryl James used to be one of Floyd's. Uh, used to spar with him. They was like fallen Olympics. And all that. So Floyd remembers his his trainer, Derek James. They got a history going way back. So Errol's style and the way he, you know, his foundation is, he's good grounded. But the way to beat him and what Floyd did is the way Terrence would be. Make him move his. You have to make Errol reshuffle, restands, and he has a wide stance. And you know, the thing is about Errol is. If a fighter with movement fights him, they will have success. It will make him have to reset. He really has to work. But he's been in the ring. He fought at 54. This is how he lost in the Olympics. He fought a bigger guy his size, and that guy kept beating him with the jab, pop, 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 and was physical. And Arrow campaigned at 54. He was hurt multiple times at 54. So they dropped him down to 47. And since he's at 47, he's been on a steady diet of 140-pound fighters and 135-pound fighters. Oh, I've noticed. I've watched his entire career, and I knew what they were doing. They're saying we got to highlight him by putting him in the ring with Mikey Garcia's, Danny Garcia's. We're going to keep all these little bitty welterweights who are really junior welterweights, and put him in with a big guy who's physically bigger than him and let him see what he does. Sean Porter was the first guy he fought that was his size. And I said, yes. Well, Kell Brook was bigger than him. That's right. Kell Brook was, but this is Kell Brook that just, they begged for that fight. Kell was going to vacate the title. Like Eddie Hearn told him, like, just vacate it. We're going to 54. He just got his eye socket broken by Triple G at 160 pounds. So he just went up to 160, got his eye socket broken, and it wasn't even healed right. And that's how he broke the other one in that fight. And they ended up having to stop the fight because of that. But he had to kill himself to make 47. They oh, they let him fight in Sheffield. Al Heyman offered him a fortune that you're going to be the lion's share purse. We want the belt. We want to fight and win the belt. But Kel, being the champion he is, he wanted to fight in front of his hometown in Sheffield. They made a big event for it. But that fight was not, and he hurt Arrow about two times in the fight. When Arrow had him hurt, he tried to finish him, 
Kelbrook hurt him like twice in that fight. And Arrow after the end of that fight was telling people like, man, Kelbrook could crack. Like he's like, that's the hardest I ever been hit because I've been pro. It was Kelbrook. And this is before the Ugas and all that. This is back then. This is before his accident. He was saying Kell Brook was the hardest puncher he'd been in the ring with. So, and that was a Kell Brook who was depleted <laughs> from weight drain. That's why he came right out and went out his body from the opening bell. They knew he killed himself to make weight. And then that's why the other side, when you, when you get your eye socket broken <laughs> or you get your orbital bone broken on one side, the other side, that's why it takes almost a year to heal. He came back way too soon, and he ended up breaking the other side because it wasn't it wasn't healed all the way. That's why it says takes a year to really you know get that healed before you can go back into you know you know a, a, a contest where you're gonna get punched again. So now he had two broken orbital bones, one side and the other side. So now, you know, that wasn't a fair matchup, but it, it, it is what it is. They got what they wanted, which was the belt. Uh, can't blame Errol for that. It's not his fault. He did great negotiations, made the fight happen. He won. He went on to fight Sean Porter, the next guy he fought, and a long list of guys who were not his size. <laughs> I mean, he fought Chris Algieri, you know. Needless to say, steady diet of 140-pound, 135 fights that he can just out-muscle and stronger than. Fights and goes up against uh, Sean Porter, who's his size. And I said, well, this will be interesting because Sean, you know, this is tailor-made for Errol. This is a guy that's going to come forward with brute force and, you know, he's going to fight you like his third and one. And he's trying to get that first down. So it'll be an interesting fight. And then that fight told me everything I need to know about Errol. Third and inches. Yep, third and inches, hand the boxing gloves <laughs> over to <the laughs> Sean Porter. He's going to duck down and come in and swing. But Sean Porter did something, and it, it was very shocking to me. He was able to throw off Errol, stud his offense. Errol tried to stand toe-to-toe with him and battle him, but he was losing. And the way he was losing the fight, he didn't know how to fight Sean. He was still trying to figure out Porter, and while he was trying to get figure out the fight, he was getting hit and hurt. And I said, wow, this is unbelievable. Sean is doing the same thing, and then he added a wrinkle to it. He starts going up and down and, you know, trying to disrupt what, what Arrow is doing, and Arrow is telegraphing all of his punches. You basically know what Arrow's going to do, and Arrow's just like, he could dish it, I can take it, and keep coming forward. Then you start to see that Sean Porter was mauling him when he wanted to, but he was actually not doing that many headbutts or anything. It was actually a fight where Sean wasn't as wild as they thought he was going to be. And he was in front of him, and that made a great fight, you know, because Errol was going to stand there. But Errol was on the move in that fight more than, than he was probably comfortable with moving. And he lost position a lot of times uh, because his feet weren't set. So I, I found it to be quite interesting, the results of that. 
because I had Porter winning by one point. I went back and watched it again, scored the fight after Sean won by one point. And I was like, I know they're not going to mess up the fight they want to make. And, you know, Errol was the guy that they won. But he really lost this fight by one point. But the knockdown, you know, that made it solidified for people. Like, hey, he got knocked down. That's it. It's over. <laughs> so that's just how some people look at it. I looked at it a little deeper than that. And said, no, the knockdown is still two points for error. I'm scoring the fight. <laughs> so I've, I've scored it. I went back and I got Sean Porter still winning that fight by one round. But I, it's close enough we can go where it is. But they were the same size. So, again, after that, Danny Garcia was next. So he has the car accident. And God, by God willing, he survives this accident. But before that, we all anticipated this is the reason that he wouldn't beat Terrence Crawford. He drinks too much. And we were saying this all prior. It's like Errol just drinks and, you know, started getting wild. Once he started just drinking, getting all tore up, I was like, this is, you know, like this ain't the way for Errol to go. And now that's going to be the main thing that gets him beat, fighting Terrence Crawford. He drinks too much. And you can't keep drinking and doing this. And Nate Jones was saying this. And he did an interview, just said it, and the next, like the next day or two days later was the accident. And the way the news was, it was like, man, Arrow is not going to survive. That's the way we was looking, like looking at the card, and we were like, oh, no. You know, it was just so sad to hear it. And by the grace of God, he didn't break any bones. And him actually getting thrown from the car actually saved his life. Because if he didn't, right. if he stayed in that car and he had a seatbelt on, he'd have been dead. You know, even getting thrown from the car could get you bro- bones broken in so many directions and places, rather. You know, so this was a blessing all around. And to see um, what happened after the fact, Oh, man, it went crazy. The public jumped up and was like, you know, rallied behind him. And then when he fought Danny Garcia, he wasn't ready. And physically, his body did not look right. And I said, wow, he does not look right. He looked drained. It was the smallest I've ever seen Errol Spence in a ring look. Yeah, that makes sense, though, you know. Yeah. And the way the fight went, he was overpowering Danny. Like, he's he's strong. And he was hitting Danny Garcia. Danny Garcia is a 140-pound fighter. His power resonates at 140. It tops off there. That's it. He can knock out guys at 140. At 147, he ain't hurting these big guys. You can knock out another 140, but you're not rocking the bell of these big guys like Keith Thurman. Uh, Errol Spence, they're too big for him. So in this fight, he's losing the fight. He's getting physically mauled by a 154-pound fighter. And as the fight is going on, the fight dynamic changed. It was a headbutt between Danny Garcia and Errol Spence. Errol Spence jumps back. And ever since that headbutt, Danny Garcia wins like five, four to five rounds in a row. Errol Spence lost 
every single round going up to that 12th round. And it all goes back to the headbutt. He became punch, like punch shy, shy to let his hands go, anything. He's trying to tie up and get out of rounds, throw two punches and tie up. He want to get out of the fight and get the fight over with. And this was like four, three, four rounds to go. So I said, oh, no, he ain't right. So right after the fight, he started blaming the conditioning and said, no, I got to go back. I tried to do all the training at home. No, we got to go back to what works. My conditioning ain't right. So the next fight comes around, and when he uh, fought Ugas, which was the true fight, because he was supposed to fight Manny Pacquiao, then he broke his eye socket, or his, he had to get his retina fixed retina, in his yeah. eye. So he had retina surgery. And everyone's like, man, Errol's done. Because before that, Errol Spence was getting destroyed in sparring. Before they came up with this retina thing, and this is why they said, man, you didn't see, you're not seeing well, I don't know punches? if they came up with it, to be fair. They came up with it? Like, it just... No, 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 no. It. They didn't come up with it. They, I'm saying they, they used that to really get out of that fight because at that point... Oh, well, yeah, obviously. He was, he was getting manhandled in sparring. Like, to the point where it was like, ooh, wait a minute. <laughs> like, we were putting Manny Pacquiao in front of this guy to get Manny Pacquiao, you know, like, this. we're feeding him Pacquiao where he can have that on his resume, but this guy is not in shape. I won't say, like, they probably have, like, a lot of people probably have a detached retina. Like, I probably have a, a tear or something. You Anybody could have a little part of something wrong with their eye they can go have surgery with. And you don't know what part of it is. But whatever it is, especially a fighter, you can have a slight tear of the retina or anything. Well, it makes a lot more, you know, it's definitely more important for a boxer not to, you exactly. know, have a slight tear. To, to be to have that surgery, but normally this was career ending back in the eighties. Ray 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 Leonard is the first person to really come out, and as some fighters retired because they like there's a fear you can go blind, and they be like, look, I just quit. And it still took them <laughs> a while to feel right, you know, three years until that Hagler fight happened. Four years, you know. Oh yeah, exactly. He came back. We saw him get knocked down in that fight and all that. Yeah, then he retired again. So exactly, but. uh the thing is, is that when he had it, the surgery, it was like, okay, this is probably why you're getting hit because you can see your retina, your eyes messed up because you're getting hit with stuff you shouldn't be getting hit with. And Arrow's defense has never been ideal. You know, he's getting, he's been getting hit in fights. It's just that he was tough enough to take it and keep pushing forward. And I still think it'll be a good fight, but I've seen a lot of, Wear and tear on Errol in, in that Ugas fight was telling. Errol telegraphs his punches so much that Ugas was able to throw the shots in between. And that's what caught him before he got wobbled and everything else. Like, he was hurt earlier with right short right hands. I was like, those short right hands that came in there, and Terrence Crawford was there watching this fight. You know, he watched these fights, and he was watching how Errol was getting hit and was like, this guy is not ready for me. Because he's like, those short shots, because he knew when Arrow's getting ready to punch, he just threw short rights. And, I mean, short lefts in between. Boom. Hit him with a short left, and he hit him with another sharp one. Boom. And Arrow's legs, like, it's like his equilibrium is off. 
And the way he would stop a step, it was like a wino stepping out of the bar. And even when Arrow was trying to, like, punch, he was looking disturbed. And the lady who was ringside, she's watching it. She's like, oh, my God, like, he doesn't look right. You know, she's like a, just a casual, just sitting ringside. She's watching the fight. This, you know how many times I've seen it. If I, I've seen everything <laughs> in this round where he gets the mouthpiece knocked out and he goes to try to pick it up. In the middle, it's like he loses, like, focus of what's going on in the ring. It happened in the Danny Garcia fight. He lost the mouthpiece, same thing. And I was like, wow, this is weird. And I was like, Ugas really kind of got gun shy. And the referee didn't call time and yet so they could get the mouthpiece put in back in Arrow's mouth and they could, like, the bell rung and then reset, but Ugas didn't really put a lot of pressure on him after that, which was weird. And then he went back to a high guard. It was like he was paid off. And I was like, man, if he was paid, I'm telling you, like, like this other guy used to say about all the games, when we see a bad call, he'd be, check his bank account. <laughs> check his bank account. I, I guarantee you, check his bank account. <laughs> check his bank account. I'm like, ooh, guys, he probably got a green card in there for some family members. <laughs> Something happened. Because <laughs> I was like, ooh, guys, I've never seen him fight any high guard well, he, like that. He does. He, he actually does imply a high guard, though. Like, that's his defense. But oh, as far well. as just standing there getting hit to the body and all that, I mean, yeah. Spence had He's something to do with him covering up. Don't you think yeah, Spence I mean, had something to do with him covering up? Yeah, not really. Come on, he was I, I mean, killing him to the body, Garcino. Yes, but he's allowing this. You know, it's like if, if I put my high guard up and I'm not popping anything back at all, like even in the beginning, like after that, it's just like I'm just going to stand there and let you tee off. I'm not even countering. And I just watched you fight Sean Porter, and you didn't do any of this. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what, what, Ugas, am I watching? Like, there's no counter. I've just hurt this man with just timing. My power is definitely resonating here. Why am I not able to, you know, at least try something to let something go, to just stand there and let a guy tee off on you? That's not going to happen with Bud. I'm telling you right now, this fight's going to end in about seven rounds. And I I got seven rounds. Well, let's not rounds. do the prediction segment just yet. We, okay, we, yeah. We got to July 29th. Let, let's but put I'm a time out on right this. Now, get your money ready <laughs> and better knockout. <laughs> <laughs> but we got to stop all this talk, though. Sales. July 29th, we got to save some of it, Garcino. We got to save some of it. Oh, don't tomorrow. worry. My mind can change by this. <laughs> My mind can totally change by this. All right. Well, I, I, I'm excited about this fight. I, I'm really happy that they got it figured out. and It's it's right around the corner, and we got a big fight in the summer, which doesn't always happen for us boxing fans. And I'm really excited, man. And I appreciate you uh, calling in. You got... Lopez by split decision, correct? That's right. Split decision. Hey, right now on FanDuel, plus 152. 
plus 152 on FanDuel right now, Lopez, underdog. Woo! Okay, it's going yeah. up. It was at 116. A lot of people betting mm-hmm. on Aaron Taylor now. That's good. Well, I appreciate well, I you finding time in your busy schedule, sir. Oh, no problem. Thank you guys for having me on, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. The hardest uh, hardest working man in the business right here, Carcino. You take it easy, buddy. <laughs> you the hardest working man on the internet radio, buddy. Consistently forward <laughs> actor. Yes, sir. That's how we do it. That's right. All right. We'll let the others talk got- about it. <laughs> All right, man. All right, Carcino for Life. You know the channel. It's not just boxing anymore. Well, we know that. It's been, it hasn't been boxing in a while, just boxing. Um, what do we got here? We got some news. We got some, let's get to some news. So Eddie Hearn, this is from Matchroom Boxing. Eddie Hearn has revealed that they are now in talks to try to make Sonny Edwards, who obviously has to get through his fight. He should, though. Again, Jesse Bam Rodriguez in November or December for a unification unification at the weight class. Excuse me, I got the hiccups. Sign me up for that. As we know, Usyk in his side won the uh, purse bid um, and are facing Daniel Dubois from according to IFL TV, the uh, co-promoter because we now know Usyk signed with Skills Challenge over there in Saudi Arabia. So does that mean, well, they got a fighter now who has three of the belts. Does that mean that Fury's going to come there and and just in general attract other heavyweights, whether it be Wilder or Joshua or those two fights? Who really knows? But I think that's a good sign as far as some of these fights happening. But they go on to say August 26th, Daniel Dubois in Poland, and the fight is set in in, in Poland because uh, over a million Ukrainians now live there after fleeing after the war. So that does make sense. Al Bernstein was talking about one of the judges that are, you know, not from America but not all that good. Uh, he's the one who handed in the Playu Akhmadev, that, that fight, where a lot of people thought Akhmadev, it was a tight-ass fight. 117-111 on that card, just – just something to note. Here's Adam from uh, SN Boxing. The irony, the irony. God, what the hell am I talking about? The irony is that the British official was suspended for scoring Taylor Catterall too wide for Taylor. Uh, I must have missed the outrage from Team uh, Taylor. Then, yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Oshaki Foster manager Keith Millis, or Mills, sorry, um, claims. Joe Cordina and Matram are holding up the potential unification clash. Cordina doesn't want it. Social media and real life are different. Uh, Broadway Joe is just an actor. That's, that's what they're saying. Now, here's a nice fight. We talked about uh, Boots Ennis on the card in Atlantic City on Showtime. Edwin De Los Santos versus Joseph Adorno. I really like that fight for where they're at, especially for De, De Los Santos. Um, that's a good fight. By the way, I forgot to put the other part about Oscar De La Hoya because uh, Eddie Hearn came out and said some stuff, um, and, and he was like, stay in your lane. This is a warning. 
you know, that type of thing. You know, he came out and was talking about it. He said it's going to be a court. And just officially, 11,784 in attendance at that uh, Shields fight. So that's cool. And I did forget to mention um, there was a fight, what was that, a Friday? Um, Jonathan Lopez. Someone uh, reminded me of that. That's right. He he, um, he actually, well, he scored a knockdown, right? Was it one knockdown? I think it was just one knockdown against uh, a solid fighter, quality fighter, Eduardo Baez. That was a good fight. That was an all-action fight, and now I think he's like, what is he, 11-0 or 12-0, something like that. That was a good, good win. He's a guy that's trained by Eddie Reynoso. So Jonathan Lopez, Eduardo Baez, I did see that fight. Um, that was good. He, he definitely, it was a clear win, clean win, but he definitely, you know, he's only like, what, 20, 21, something like that. Um, you know, that was a good fight for him. So I'm glad you guys mentioned that. That's a, that's a good point. Um, and Jared Ennis and, uh, Roman, Roman, what is it? Roman Villa. That's going to be the main event July 8th. Uh, from Atlanta City Showtime. So I like that fight for Venice. Uh, for Venice, I just did the Venice via and Ennis. No, but I mean, you know, they were talking about Rashidi Ellis, you know, signing with PBC or whatever, or Showtime. I think it was PBC. I can't remember. But, and they had a fight against Via, and the next fight was going to be Boots Ennis. Well, I like when organically this stuff gets made. Okay, that didn't that didn't happen. So why shouldn't Via get the fight? And he did. So Via is kind of on that bottom of the top ten. You know, Boots is somewhere in the middle. Um, I'm sure some people have him higher, whether it's, you know, the number three, number four, number five, whatever, wherever you got Boots, this is a quality fight for him. And he's got a main event in Atlantic City. So that's cool. I'm really happy about that. Um, And we talked a little bit about, you know, the tank stuff and his lawyer was saying the reason I didn't want him to go to Florida is because, Oh wait, handy is the name. What? This is something different. The reason I didn't want him to go to Florida is because this was not a holiday. This was, he was serving time and I was being considerate enough to let him do it at home detention. Um, and like I said, they, you know, he moved to a different spot. Uh, Tomoka said he and his clients were caught off guard with the requirement to do house arrest in Baltimore. Uh, Ford thought, Ford though has a one bedroom apartment in the, you know, the 24 seven security team with Gervonta. It was going to be an issue. No one wanted him living in the hotel. Um, Topco said, he said he worked with his client's team to buy the condo um, as quickly as possible to move him in a safe location. It's like, I don't think Mr. Davis did any run except listen to his lawyer, you know, so that's what he was talking about. So the remaining balance of the sentence is going to be in there. So that's what he was talking about. Um, per sources, Dan Raphael, uh, John, I'm, I'm speaking of earlier. Uh, that's what he was talking about, his lawyer and stuff. Lightweight contender Frank Martin will face fellow unbeaten Archim um, Haruyuna, I think it is, Haruyuna. I don't know, but it's the WBC Eliminator on Showtime either July 15th or July 22nd. It hasn't been determined. Um, and that's a rankings thing. Gritty, what's up, Gritty? Good follow there, everyone out there. Gritty from the underdog or under, underground. 
Uh, WVC Eliminator makes more sense. Frank is number five. Archim's number eight. Um, it's just basically like a, a decent fight to stay in the rankings, you know, that type of stuff. Um, and who knows? You know, maybe this guy gives a better fight than some people think he's going to. Who knows, right? Who knows? Uh, Oster today was saying – good. oh, by the way, Adrian Broner. I'll go over a little bit of the schedule too, but Adrian Broner uh, fights on Friday. He said, call me. Have Don King call me if you want a mega fight at 140, meaning Ryan Garcia. I'll be busy with Mungia and Virgil, but I'm sure to answer your call. So he's looking for that smoke, I guess. Um, and then Bob Arum, uh, according to our on-the-show third knockdown rule, uh, Bob Arum has revealed that he will not be pursu- pursuing the undisputed light heavyweight title fight between uh, Bitter Biev and, and Bivol due to Bivol's Russian nationality. He would only consider uh, the fight if the WBC uh, stance changed, which I've always said is just fucking ridiculous. By the way, tonight, I think it's like, is it five bouts in a row? I don't know. But Tuesday night on BLK Prime, Tuesday night fight. Uh, There you go. Someone sent that to me. There there you be. Um, You know, it is what it is. Here's something. WB, this is no spoke sports. WBA number one, uh, Joshua Buatzi will reportedly face European Commonwealth, blah, 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 um, Dan Azias on Saturday, August 5th, who he actually has a fight coming up, but he should, uh, you know, clear that. But that's a good fight. This is uh, Adrian Delgado, a great follow, definitely a supporter of the show, definitely a supporter of him. Uh, this will be Teofimo's third fight in 10 months, and third fight at 140. He'll be sharp, acclimated to weight, and up against one of the best in the division. Uh, boxing is a uh, boxing is about timing, and he'll be catching Taylor coming off an si- almost 16 month layoff. Big opportunity for both. That's a good point. I mean, three fights in that amount of time, especially nowadays. Uh, this is Huey P from my neck of the woods. Devin isn't calling Tank because it's leverage. Tank and his team can say what they want without calling first because of the WBA situation. This is Dev saying you want the fight, negotiate in good faith, or uh, call in your shot and get 25% because obviously he'd get the 20, you know, the 75-25 split is, is his point. This is Boxing Social. Eddie Hearn has declared that he believes that they're now very close to making Chris Eubank Jr. and Connor Ben again, potentially in Abdubad. Or wait. Dubai? Is it Dubai or Abdubad? I can't remember. I think it's I think it's Dubai. Anyway, the thing's cut off. Um but you know, that won't be till the fall and I know Eddie Hearn was saying he wanted to uh stage the fight in the UK, but it's still up in the air. Um Abdullah Mason, a Cleveland lightweight prospect, is gonna fight on the undercard. Um in Ohio, uh, which I'm really happy about, the prospect July 1st at the Huntington Center. So that's cool. I like Abdul. Uh, he's a good young prospect. This is Jake Donovan. Six weeks after their super fight, Ryan Garcia stuck in a promotional prison, and Tank Davis is sent to actual prison. Well done, always boxing. 
I think it's not. I don't know if he's in prison, but he's in jail. But yeah, dude, that's a great. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, Glovoski took an elbow from cruiserweight champion Marios Bredis in their fight and, and lost the third round. It's no surprise he's doing perfectly fine in MMA because he scored a knockout. And it's that old once. And I'm a former wrestler, by the way. But once once an MMA guy has you on the ground as a boxer, you're screwed. Well, Glovoski was on the ground. He he turned out. He turned out to, and knocked him out. Anyway, oh yeah, this is another one. Angelo or a- Angel Estrada, uh, Christian Dominguez. Uh, no contest due to a head clash. Yeah, I did forget to mention that. Good call. Gervonta can use his, his influence to get the judge disbarred. Uh, this dude says, y'all think life operates like power or something. Yeah, no shit. I mean, that shit is hilarious. Terrence Crawford, this is fight hype. Terrence Crawford warns Spence, after I beat you twice, it's tank next. Not tank next. That's kind of weird. Uh, by the way, the WBA approved Marlon Tapias, uh, approved that Marlon Tapias, the, the superweight champ, will unify his belt against the winner of, you know, either Inoue or Fulton. Meanwhile, MJ Akhmedaliev and uh, Tomokia, or is it Tomokia uh, Kamita uh, must meet in a final eliminator to determine the division division's mandatory at the end of that. So, Jose Ramirez, this is Luki. What's up, Luki? Jose Ramirez, manager of, um, or no, his manager, Jose Ramirez, manager, says, you know, it is his last fight. Ramirez is on his last fight of his deal with top rank and will be ringside, uh, you know, for Taylor versus... That's pro TV, by the way. Um, another one from Adrian Delgado. Taylor Lopez. Stylist, stylistically, I can see how this fight favors the physically gifted Lopez, who's an explosive counterpuncher. The physical, physicality and temperament of Taylor could turn the tide as he's a spiteful fighter. I um, favor JT slightly, but it won't be easy. Tiafimo is live. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree. And one more thing. We did see that Eddie Reynoso put out a tweet saying, Matchroom, PBC, top rank, basically saying that he's waiting on offers. He's waiting on contracts. They're playing the waiting game type thing, right? And Benavidez, uh, you know, Samson, his uh, promoter came right out and said, "Nah, dude, uh, this is according to even Chris Mannix, who works for his own. Uh, David Benavidez's representation are reportedly prepared to offer Canelo Alvarez, uh, Canelo Alvarez a deal including close to $50 million guaranteed for September fight. And uh, ESPN knockout, Canelo Alvarez and Bivol rematch is now in doubt, as uh, Bivol's manager said, they don't want a rematch. A rematch cannot take place on the same terms as the fight you lost. It's stupid. We're looking forward. Uh, and they said at the time, Bitter BF is the target. Um, you know, whatever, however you look at that, you know what I'm saying? Um, but, yeah, it is It is what it is on that. It is what it is. Uh, so we have, uh, you know, a, a pretty quality fighter in Henry LeBron. On the undercard, uh, Jermaine Ortiz is in a, you know, an okay fight, whatever. But he's on the card. 
Conceso is on the card. Omar Rosario is on the card. Xander Zayez, Bruce Carrington, that's all in that top-ranked card. There is a showbox, show, excuse me, showbox card as well on Friday, per usual, when they do the, the Hall of Fame. We'll talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame more next week. But, um, but Shane Mosley, um, Jorge Chavez, Sandoval, which I like, uh, he's, he's fighting. They're going to – Shane Mosley Jr. and Demetrius Ballard is on that. Mungia is going to win, I think, by decision, by the way. And, yeah, that's from uh, Turning Stone. That will be Friday night. Uh, Ismailov and Charles Foster, I think, are the uh, the main event in that, that uh, card. So, And, of course, Carl Froch, um, Timothy Bradley, Rafael Marquez leads the way for – you know, the 2022 class, uh, or, or is it 2023? No, 2022. Yeah. So that's cool. That's really cool. Um, what else we got? Uh, I mentioned, uh, Sonny Edwards is fighting, uh, Ellie, uh, Scootney and, and Johnson. That, that could be an interesting fight. That, that could be an interesting fight. Um, otherwise, yeah. I think that's about it, guys. I think I think that's a, oops. I think that's about all I got as we shut down this show. Like I said, Adrian Broner is fighting as well as we know. Um, yeah, we'll see how he looks at the scale. And that is Friday, by the way. Ronald Cruz and Xavier Zander Zayas is on that card. That's that's the one. Um, yeah, so I think we're gonna. I think that's about it. Um, so basically, he called his bluff. Just to finish that up, so Samson called Eddie Reynolds' bluff and said, "We're gonna email. You know, we've emailed you. We've sent you an offer. We want the fight. Um, so we'll see where we go from there. You know, on one hand, Bob's saying that they're not gonna make that fight." Uh, for for Bivol and Petrobia, so I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Enjoy the fights this weekend, though. Should be a good one between Taylor and Lopez. I'll be back next week. Peace. Once you become the world champion, I believe that you feel you have the upper hand. So now, when as you fight, let's say you fight for five years of straight survival. Or, 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 or,